Listen to the LARP Lounge live on Sundays at 12 p.m. Mountain Standard Time at twitch.tv slash errorstar. That's twitch.tv slash A-R-R-U-S-T-A-R. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the LARP Lounge Season 2, Episode 8. Today we'll be talking about the Mythic Realm plot and just various things from the plot team. And today we have our guests. We have Steve and we have Barris. So, and as you all know, I am Airstar, or my character is Jovi Smash, or the Spring Warrior now. Yeah, it's my new thing. I saw that. <laughs> so, um, before we get started, I gotta ask you guys a question I ask everybody. I forgot one person. I am bad. But anyway, what does LARP mean to you? That's a good question. Go uh, the best definition I ever heard was the one my buddy used to get me into it long, long ago, which was, I put on latex elf ears and run around in the mountains beating my friends with foam swords. <laughs> Do you want to come? Um, and so, it's not necessarily the run around in the mountains part, which is always fun, but it's uh, it's a community, mm-hmm. is what it boils down to for me. A community of people who have the same uh, hobbies, same desires for their hobbies, and just to go and have fun and tell a story. Yeah, I mean, the thing that, like, really got me into um, LARP originally was the, like, theater aspect combined with, um, like, the roleplay aspect. I was really big into um, roleplaying games like D&D and then um, was, like, huge into theater um, and kind of found it through the intersection of those two things. Because I think that, you know, when you look at, <coughs> like, modern gaming, right, whether it's, like, roleplaying games like D&D or you look at even, uh, like... Uh, you know, video games and stuff, right? Like, they really have become the, um, like, some of the best storytelling vehicles that we mm-hmm. have, right? Like, as far as, if you think about, like, storytelling as an art, right? Like, it's an interactive storytelling experience, and then you add the, like, live-action roleplay piece of it, and suddenly it's an immersive, interacting storytelling experience, right? Like, I really think it's, for me, like, that live-action theater piece of it, you know, really is what it means to me, right? I, it, I mean, there's no wrong answer, really, but those are all, I mean, those, those are perfect. And the one thing I want to say, we hear a lot, we hear community, we hear family a lot when we ask this question. So it's kind of nice to know that Mythic Realms harbors that kind of mentality, that everyone's a community, that we're a family. So, and there's Boji. Boji says, yo, geek drama theater. Yeah. So, all right. So I guess we'll jump into this. Uh, the first question I have is... Um, what got you guys involved in plot? What made you decide to take that leap to take on such, a, I guess, a, a daunting task? Or For me, I'm a pragmatic person. Um, and I'm when I look at something and I say, I don't like it, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't stop at just saying I don't like it. I think about how do I solve that problem. Mm-hmm. And years and years ago, there were two different people running plot in Mythic. Um, in the early to mid-2000s, and they ran very great stuff, but very different and geared toward very specific populations of the player base. Mm -hmm. And I was not in any of those categories, and neither were my close friends. Um, Which was fine, because when you have a a game, you can't always have things going on for everyone. But I decided that I was going to run something that I would enjoy being a part of, and that my friends would enjoy being a part of. And so I decided that I wasn't going to wait and hope someone on plot eventually started running one of those things. 
Because the biggest thing that I've learned from being on plot is you run the things that you enjoy. Mm -hmm. And it's really, really hard to run things if you don't enjoy it. And so I decided that I would just be that guy. I was going to run those things. And so I shifted gears from actively being a player to actively running events and running plot. And I worked with James, uh, who was the head of the plot back then. Mm -hmm. And I basically asked him, like, what is a small part of the world that I can have a little bit of creative control over? That I can help develop something that hasn't gotten a lot of story. And we talked about it. And he said, here's, here's a list of places that you could basically do almost anything you wanted in. And it would nice. be fine because the scale would be small enough. It wouldn't impact anything else people were running. And then that's when I actively started to, to run plot. Nice. Yeah. Um, so I started actually mainly because Steve started. So like it was years down the road. <laughs> I drifted him. Yeah. So after Steve ran that portion, you're talking about when you first ran the Bladeland stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, Bladeland stuff. Yeah. So it was years after that, um, after I like moved away and then moved back um, and Steve had done the same. Uh, Steve and Mike started running plot, um, like, years down the run line, like, came back around, and the two of them started running plot for, uh, one of the campaigns at Mythic, and, uh, I realized that the thing that I liked the most about LARPing is playing with my friends, mm -hmm. and so if they were gonna be running plot, I guess I would get dragooned into running plot, and so, um, I started doing it primarily because, like, that's what they were doing, um, and then... Now I don't think I could ever go back to yeah. like not running plot. You know what I mean? Like it's just too ingrained in like how I think about the game. Right. Right. Like because I tried for a little bit when I first moved back. I was like, oh, I'm not gonna you know be on plot. I'm just gonna come back and just play for a little while. But it's just too ingrained in how I approach the game and think about like mm -hmm. LARPing that I can't not like dive in to plot. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's just I I was selfish. And I wanted to run things for my friends is what it boiled down to for me. Yeah. Um, and then it, it evolved into something way more. Nice. I guess we should be thankful for that selfish tendency because <laughs> yeah. plot's been fun, man. So, uh, real quick, Navid says I joined plot only so that I can say the plot thickens. Get it? Because I'm thick, lol. <laughs> um, so that is the I, other reason is for puns, obviously. Yeah, all yeah. the puns. It's the yeah. primary reason to join plot. Oh, yeah. Join plot. So, speaking of, um, people have kind of shown interest in joining plot. How would they go about doing that? So, I feel like there's a distinction that a lot of people don't understand. Mm -hmm. There's a difference between running events mm -hmm. and being involved in the running aspect of things and being on the plot team. Yeah. The plot team is a commitment to, to do a lot of different things. And that commitment isn't for everyone, and that's totally fine. Mm -hmm. Because if people just want to run stuff... That is a great place to start. And you don't have to formally be on the plot team. You don't have to make those commitments. Um, because being on the plot team does come with, like, we have a structure on how the plot team works. We rule, we run by committee. And so it's not like I can do whatever I want without anyone to answer to. I present my stuff to the plot team in advance if I can. And if not, if I run something the plot team disagrees with, they will call me to task for running something that was whatever it was it was bad for the game it was bad because people didn't like it, it what, whatever the reasons are if I run something that even if a lot of players enjoy but is bad for the overall health of the game that's something the team will call me to task for but like I said I started with running just a module series like the first thing I ever ran was nine modules long 
in and out done. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have to be a member of the plot team. So if people want to run events and do stuff like that, they don't have to worry about joining the plot team and taking on those responsibilities. But if they do want to take on the responsibilities of making sure events get run and having long-term plot commitments um, and things like that, it also means like assignments on weekend events and things like that. Mm -hmm. Like One of the reasons I don't PC more isn't because I don't want to. I do really like running events, but part of it is I don't have time because of my commitments to the plot team. And that, like Winterfest, for example, mm -hmm. I went in as my PC character long enough to scarf down my food and then leave for the next NPC role yeah. because I just had a lot on my plate. And Barris, I don't think you even no, played your character at all. Yeah. Um, just because being on the plot team means that we're making a commitment to do specific things for the game. And if someone wants to join the plot team, I guess to actually answer the question, just talk to us. Let us know what you want and yeah. why you want to do it. Mm -hmm. And it's not like... It's not a formal application. Yeah, you just let us know what yeah. you want to do. And we can talk about, is this a long-term thing? Is it a long-term commitment you want? Or do you just want to run some stuff? Okay. Because yeah. either way is fine. And like, if you look at, like, Chelsea's a great example right now with the plot that she's running, right? Where she's run, I don't know, like, some mini-modules, some events on her own. Like, probably a total of, like, five or six things at this point, right? Like, all part of the same plot arc. And she's working with... Um, like she's worked with two members of the plot team to like help vet out her idea and make sure that it fits well within what everyone else is running and doesn't step on anyone else's toes and stuff. But she's not a full member of the plot team, right? So she has the ability to, like, just kind of like step back out when she's done. Yeah. You know. Um, but like a lot of people have like it's not even like an all or nothing thing either, right? Like you can join the plot team and or like you can express an interest in joining the plot team and like start to help run events or start to be involved in a plot series you want to run or have somebody like bring you into something that they're running right mm -hmm. and try it out for a little while to see if it's a long-term commitment because like the official moniker of like being on the plot team i think is a little bit more fluid than i think it seems from a lot of people's like outside view looking in yeah. you know what i mean okay. so real quick david says sorry terrible joke and then Brightwind says, greetings, Brightwind Studios and the Larparazzi. So they made it. So welcome, Larparazzi. Thanks for being here. Um, we actually had a question for you that they brought up. Um, what LARPs do you play? Up, you said you're up in Seattle, if I recall. So what LARPs do you play up there? Um, but we'll go on to our next question while we wait for that response because there will be a delay. So um, speaking of how, so have you guys ever had um, to turn down like a player's plot request and why? Uh, yeah, heard? all the time. Yeah, constantly. Uh, con because, and it's not because they have bad ideas. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oftentimes it's because they're too complicated mm -hmm. and they don't understand what executing that idea means. Gotcha. So it's not that we turn people down. It's There's a lot of stuff, that even from us, like we'll vet, like I talk to Barris all the time about, I want to do this thing. How do I do it and not fail? Um, because a lot of people have great ideas that they want to run, but... A lot of people, especially if they haven't been running, don't really understand how to execute on those ideas mm -hmm. in a way that makes it fun for people to be a part of. Um, so a lot of the ideas, at least that I talk to people about, are ideas that is like, you know, that's a great idea. Let's look at it from this angle of a, of a PC being involved in that. How does that get handled? Um, you know, you have these, you want to run a weekend event with 37 different tasks for the PCs to accomplish, 
well, let's break it down and say, well, as a PC, what are your goals on a weekend event? Mm -hmm. You want to go and you want to be involved in stuff and have fun, but you also want to hang out with your friends. Mm -hmm. So maybe 37 is too many because if we break it down and say there are this many hours on a weekend event, you have to do one of these in an hour in order to get the minimum you want. Is that a workable idea? Do you think that people will want to constantly be doing things? Do you, as the person running this, do you want to not sleep? on the weekend event Mm -hmm. um so a lot of it is just talking about um you know how to execute the idea and simplifying it the in my opinion the best plots are the simplest plots Mm -hmm. you let things if you try to plan for something to be memorable if you try to plan for it to be unique and outstanding you'll fail almost every time Mm -hmm. but you do it you make it you make it simple straightforward have a goal to accomplish, a villain to be defeated, a treasure to be found, or a secret to be discovered. Keep it as simple as you can, and during the course of the event, it will become those things. It will become memorable. There will be unique things, and it just that you have to let that happen organically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like one of the things that I think changes the most in somebody who's run LARP um, for a long time, like events and plot for a long time, versus somebody who's relatively new to it isn't necessarily that you get like better ideas or better at generating ideas. It's you get better at understanding the actual logistics of execution, mm-hmm. right? Because one of the hardest things with a, like running a LARP is the logistics, right? It's really easy when you have a like pen and paper role playing game, right? Because everything's, you're all sitting at a table. It's relatively easy to control the narrative mm-hmm. or to give your players the experience that you want. But all of a sudden when you start adding in like the live action component, the fact that it's a shared narrative, right? Like you're not just telling the story, your players are all involved in telling part of the story themselves, right? And you have to deal with the fact that um, you are not omnipotent, right? You can't be everywhere. And so learning how to help manage those uh, like logistic challenges, I think is really what starts to set up, um, like what experience teaches you more than anything else. Because it is, it's like the hardest part is the, logistics of how to actually get the execution that you want, right? Like, how do you get to that end point? You know, which is another reason why we, like, almost always suggest running in teams, right? Mm-hmm. Like, even if you're not actually going to help run the event, like, we almost always will talk through any, like, plot, um, like, at least talk through the event from a plot perspective with at least two, like, two people, right? The, like, runner and one other person, because you just have to to be able to figure out those holes or spot things that might be too complex, or stop, stop, spot things that will be really hard for execution. You know, makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And there are, of course, sometimes where someone presents an idea that just doesn't fit within the theme of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, totally. That doesn't happen very often. Um, but you know, Mythic Realms, we have an established world, and so while we we try to be as fluid and as open with people who want to run things as finding out how to do it, there are some things that we're just not able to accommodate um, for whatever reason because our philosophy is what you see is what you get so fizz repping and being able to represent the things you do is really really important in our game um, more so than many other factors and that's just a decision we made as a game Mm -hmm. that that is the type of game we want we don't want to have to stop and say well what do I see uh, all the time so we try to to avoid high concept ideas a lot of high concept ideas that you just can't represent accurately Um, And, you know, that does mean that there are some ideas that we just can't do, but fortunately, the people who actively play the game and want to run things are generally pretty good about understanding that 
being able to represent physically the things that they do and just the scale of what they want to run. Like if someone is like, I want to run a thing that's going to completely destabilize the political landscape <laughs> of the kingdoms of the, where the campaign takes place and reshuffle everything around. And like That's something that you're going to have to get a lot of people on board for yeah. because we have the philosophy that change is bad. Like and, It is and, so hard for a new player to come in and be like, oh yeah, well this kingdom has had six kings in the last five years. Yeah. And they're like, wait. So what? which is the one I care about, yeah. right? It's not that, you know, you always want to change things to make them better, but from an in-game perspective, from players, if I were to ask most of the players to name the rulers who matter and the rulers who don't, most would only be able to name one or two of like the ten rulers there are. Mm -hmm. Not because they don't think they matter, but it's because, well, there was this one, but they got deposed, and there was this one, but didn't he get killed in, a, in this last war? And it just too much change too quickly yeah. really makes it hard for players to be immersed mm -hmm. because yeah. they don't understand what's going on. And it's also, like, and it's really, it's challenging, but we also have to balance, like, what's going to be fun for one player could negatively impact the fun for five others, right? And so how do you balance that? Because you want to make a game where you let everyone kind of have their moment and have their times to shine and have their uh, place in your story. But we also have to really balance it against, um, like, how do we make it fun for, not necessarily make everything fun for everybody because it's okay for things to be specialized towards certain people at times, right? But how do we make sure that we aren't making it not fun for a group of people to make it fun for another mm -hmm. group of people, right? right? Which is a really hard balance to strike. Yeah. yeah, avoiding making it not fun, I think, is, is the biggest thing. Because yeah. we can... Because there are some groups that will be like, cool, so for this series of events, this group of players, they're not going to have a whole lot of specialized attention, yeah. but we're going to make sure that we're not doing things that make it not fun for them, because they will be able to make their own fun. Yeah. Just because they're not the focus, like, that's okay, but you definitely want to avoid right. you know, ruining anyone's good time. Gotcha. Yeah. So it definitely is, means that when people come like, and then we're going to run this module series where all the PCs have to serve this evil necromancer and do his bidding in order to proceed with the plot forward because that's just how the plot is. It's like, well, what about all yeah. the PCs who are good guys who don't want to be involved yeah. in that? We're probably not going to run that plot. Probably. Right? Yeah. If half of our players are going to hate every event they have to show up to in that plot line, yeah, we're probably not going to do that. Maybe we'll do that as like a, you know, a sub-series of events. That, that sounds are... like a great mini-module on a Weekender that is yeah. uh, specialized to a subset of PCs who would enjoy being yeah. sneaky off to the side. Yeah. Yeah. Not um, as the sole plot, not as Wednesday the... night module that we have 25 people signed nope. up to come and play. <laughs> right. So it's all about knowing who the audience is and, you know, just making sure that you're doing things to promote the overall growth of the game. Yeah. I guess. So, uh, Larferati Brightworm says, so sure thing, this is her answer to the question. She says, sure thing, we ran Emerald City Chronicles for 20 years, BTM Parlor LARP, have also played Legacies, College of Wizardry, and are developing a few new ones, including Laser LARP. Oh, Avoid okay. Fantastic, the world's first LARP in a laser dome. That sounds that awesome. Sounds super cool. <laughs> and then she says, there's a dozen other LARPs we've tried, including Gothic, Nero, uh, is that Bicoline, Bicoline, etc. That's cool. Well, thank you for that answer. Awesome. Well, yeah. A lot of diverse experience yeah. there. So, for sure. Um, so the second part of that question I just asked you, have you ever had anyone that ever react like badly or negative when you like denied their plot or whatever? Um, I mean, yes. We really try, though, to not just say no. Yeah. We really try to figure out how, what is, the thing that I like to do when people talk to me with a concept that probably isn't going to work is say, what are your goals? 
what is the thing that you want to convey? What is the thing you want to do? And mm-hmm. how can we make that work? Mm-hmm. Um, and I have I have said no to people for both like really high concept. I've said no to people because it's just way too complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are times where I've said yes to those things with the strong caveat of these are things you need to be aware of could happen. There was a weekend event years and years ago that was the 37 different tasks PCs have to accomplish. And I think they accomplished like seven of them over the course of the weekend because PCs were like, we don't know what's important. There's just too much. If everything's special, nothing's special. Yeah. Yeah. So like, even if it's okay, well, here's how we can build in like, uh, you know, prepare for worst case scenarios, right? Okay. Here's how we can make something work or, um, you know, okay, well you want to do something that's high concept. Okay. Let's think about this. Here's how we can, reduce the group size that's involved in the high concept thing to make it easier to deal with that high concept. Because it's easier to deal with a high concept idea that you can't fizz rep if you have, you know, five people than it is if you have 25 people. Right. Right. So like, okay, well, here's way maybe how we can shift that. But, you know, I find most, you know, people that are most players or, you know, potential event runners, if they come to you with an idea or if they, you know, come to the plot team in general with an idea of something they want to do that's just not going to work or that we have to say no for for one reason or another, um, like almost all of them, I've, I wouldn't say get angry is ever the right term because everyone who's part of this community and who plays this mm-hmm. game does it because they love it. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, the plot team as a whole, and I hope that everyone feels this way, is never like, no, you can't run that because I don't want you to. Or like, no, we can't have this plot thing because like maniacal laughter, because this is a, <laughs> you know, like a fascist dictatorship, yeah. right? Like generally, like Steve's saying, we're always trying to find ways to make it work. And if something just isn't really going to work because it doesn't fit with, you know, the theme or our like general mentality around like fizz repping and module or event design, right? Like almost everyone is on board and understands it, even if they might be bummed out because they thought they had a really cool idea, something they wanted yeah. to do. And it's actually been a really long time since anyone, like three years at least, since the last time anyone's been like actually upset that wow. we've had to be like, nah man that probably isn't going to work without some change and that's like after we talk about well how do we change it what are your goals and like no I really want to do this thing I really want just to tell PCs there's a river of lava there and like I don't know everything that I know I talk about and probably Barris too it's because we've been involved with Mythic and Plot since 1999 yeah so we have been on the module where you run across the road and then somebody shows up five minutes later to say go back and die on the road that was a river of lava and you're like, but no one was there. And they're like, you have to go die on that road. And we're like, well, we should not do this in the future. Right, yeah. It's, there is There are times in Mythic where people ran things and they're like, well, let's try being high concept. And it really was rough at a park when I'm walking in because I'm late and I'm walking across the grassy field in Tanner Park. And they're like, oh, you're dead now. I'm like, why? You just walked in a river of lava. And I'm like, but it's an open field of grass. They're like, yeah, it's just right there. And I'm like, I feel like this could be done better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, um, you know, people want to be able to use their imaginations and we just have to we've learned that the best thing at least in our game is to temper that with representing things if you need a river of lava find a way to represent what that is and make it clear to people what that is and generally like Barris said the easiest way to do that is with a small group of people so a mini module on a weekend you go off away from the main group for a couple hours to to run a really specialized thing because then all five of them know what's going on and no one's ever being like oh i forgot that that twig represented the doom laser that now killed me yeah and i think that also goes back to what we were talking about before about how to make it fun for players without making and but most importantly make not making it not fun right for other people right like it can be fun to run an event where you have 
you know, I know we keep going with this river of lava, but let's stick with it for illustrative purposes, right? Where you have the stream on a weekend is a river of lava, don't step in the empty stream bed, right? That can be a very fun plot to run, right? Or like a fun module mechanic to run for a group of players, right? The thing that is not fun is showing up to that river five minutes later and having a marshal come over and tell you, oh, hey, actually, you're dead because you weren't here when I was talking about this. Yeah. Like, that's the not fun part, and that's more important for us to avoid than maybe having the fun part on right. the other side. So, like, how do we temper that to make it mm -hmm. so that, you know, it works? And, and, yeah, I think it's so rare that we can't find, like, a really good workaround for people to be able to run the thing they want. Because also, like, at least in my opinion, and I know that I'm very much on one side of this and a lot of people, you know, find a very happy middle ground somewhere in between. But, the like, LARPing in the community and the, like, enjoyment of it is more about the story you tell than it is about the mechanics of the event. And I know some people, I'm on the extreme side, right? But so finding a way to help people get their story across, right, is much easier once you start to make some, uh, you know, some give and take on the mechanical pieces of it. Mm -hmm. uh, so Nevitz says, uh, I just wanted to say thank you guys. I appreciate what you do and really love playing. And I have to mirror that sentiment. I, don't, I think oh, it's thanks. kind of a thankful job that you guys do. Because I don't think you guys get thanked very often. But I wanted to personally thank you guys because it is fun. And I don't think it would exist without the plot team. So well, we thanks. really love running stuff. It's all worth it just guys, for those so. things. Yes. Uh, floor is lava plot classic. That is classic. And <laughs> yeah. we like I fixate on that because that was the straw that broke this camel's back. It was yeah. there was a series of events in a row where I could not walk into. I worked a retail sales job, mm -hmm. so I was at work till seven or eight o'clock every night because the place closed at six, and so depending on when the last person would leave, how much cleanup there was to do. I would never get to an event on time. Mm -hmm. And there were like three or four events in a row where I'd walk up to join the rest of the group only to be told I'd stepped in a river of lava. And I'm like, yeah. really? Yeah. There have to be a river of lava every time I try to join the group that's not every designated time. in any way? Yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah, that's that doesn't sound fun at all. So Brightworm also says, clearly if you had some couch cushions, you could survive the lava. Nevis Gaming says, lol. It's actually why there's, a, uh, yeah, couch there's couch cushions in my LARP kit specifically for uh, for surviving lava. So uh, I come prepared now. That's funny. <laughs> so That is the lava bane couch cushions. Um, so you, uh, that was a really good answer. I appreciate that. Um, how do you guys handle player complaints about their specific plot line? Uh, expectations. Yeah. is the biggest thing for me. A lot of people, and player complaints, I have not yet run into a complaint that's not actually a valid complaint. Mm -hmm. The issue is communication between the person running the plot and the person involved in mm -hmm. it. Uh, and I've learned that setting expectations is the way to do that. You have to let people know that there's four core people on the plot team right now and mm -hmm. 25 people who actively play uh, we only have so many hours in the day, and there's only so much time on a three-hour Wednesday event that we have to work with. We yeah. can't put stuff in for everybody all the time. Mm -hmm. So generally the expectation is expect something really specialized once a quarter. And during weekender season, probably a little bit more often because it's on a weekend event, it's mm -hmm. really easy to run a one-hour mini-module for mm -hmm. someone. Or to have a specific NPC come into roleplay about a thing that you're interested in, right? It's yeah. really yeah. easy when you're on a weekend to say... Yeah, I'll be run over to NPC camp and grab the five things that I need to go in and do something for, you know, a player or a small group of players. It's really hard to do the same thing on a Wednesday module when you're down in the Gully and Tanner. Right. Right. Um, yeah, and just doing that, so setting that expectation. Also the expectation that work has to be done on the PC side as well. Yeah. 
to manage because it's a relationship between the person running the plot and the person involved in the plot and both sides have to manage that players have to understand that the person running the plot can't read their mind yeah and so if they aren't having fun with a thing or they don't like how a thing is being run um they need to to vocalize that and to a lot of people that's really hard especially because they're like they're trying to run this thing for me i don't want to seem ungrateful but they're just going about it in a way that i find not fun um, but we don't want to put time and effort into something that a player doesn't think that is isn't going right? to be fun because we're wasting our time yeah mm-hmm. and at the same time i think there's also a piece of it where like the thing that you want is not what you should get right, right. like no one is ever happy getting the thing that they want right you find happiness getting a thing that is like in the vein of what you want but if you were just like hey, I wrote down the plot that I want you to run for me. Here, run this plot, which I've had that conversation with players before. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to do that because there's no way that I could ever make it as good as it is in your head. I have to run a plot that I think is going to be like fun for me, fun for the game, right. and fun for your character. And then your character needs to adapt to that, um, which I think is another one of the things that I've seen a couple of times. And generally yeah. those conversations, players aren't necessarily mad when you have that conversation with them. Like just about everyone gets it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like. You know, if everyone just got what they wanted, everyone would eat ice cream every day, and Steve would be very happy, I'm but I would be happy. the saddest of boys. He, he doesn't <laughs> like ice cream as much as I do. <laughs> Sugar is to me as the red sun is, or the yellow sun is to Superman. Yeah. Um, so, so I think it's like, you know, it's a hard balance for people that, yeah. you know, they might say, well, I want, you know, I want a magic sword, and I want that magic sword to do these five things. Yeah. And we're like, yeah, but that's not really what's going to make you happy. What's going to make you happy is getting the opportunity to participate in a story where there's a magic sword involved that does the things that I needed to do for the story to be fun. And you really are going to have a better time with that. Mm-hmm. And so there is a little bit that's different in like LARP as a, you know, a um, shared narrative game. Cause as much as the plot team controls the world, right. The reality is that all of us share the narrative. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like we're all taking part in creating the story that we're telling. We're all taking part in like how we build the world, all those things. Right. And in a shared narrative game, if everyone kind of like, you know, once you have the experience to understand that you need to lean into the plot, just like plot needs to lean in to what players want, yeah. the game gets a thousand times better. Um, and so, you know, most of the time, like when you have that kind of conversation with people or they start to experience that, it like really changes how they react. And I don't think that we see like complaints about the plot we're running for people too much. Yeah, once they and, kind of start to see that. And people... And the thing that's hard, it was hard for me to understand when I played, is people don't know what they want. They think they know what they want, mm-hmm. but they don't actually know. And in my experience, everyone who's gotten what they want has basically quit because it wasn't fun for them. Yep. Wow. Um, it's not fun if there's no mystery involved. It's not fun if you have full control. Yeah. It's not fun if you get to dictate the terms of the adventure. Yeah. So yeah. it's way more fun if there are sacrifices that have to be made. If you realize that the thing you want is actually bad and you have to adapt... So it's like, oh, but I want this thing, but it turns out that X, Y, Z will happen if I get it. Yep. That's an interest. That makes it interesting to play your character. It makes the, you know, I'm personally, I'm all about sacrifice. Mm-hmm. If a player wants something, they have to sacrifice something for it, and it doesn't have to be like you sacrifice everything you ever loved. But if a player wants to join with a faction because they think that that faction or group are the coolest people in the world, to do that, you're going to have to close some doors. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to, like, make active enemies, but if you join Falcon Crest as the, a member of the Falcon Crest faction, that's going to close the door of the evil necromancer faction. Mm-hmm. But also, it's going to close the door of some of the more moderate factions as well, mm-hmm. um, because there are a lot of people who are like, necromancy isn't necessarily evil, it's just kind of creepy and shouldn't be abused. 
as opposed to Falcon Crest, who's like, no, it is evil. Mm. It is dark, evil magic that makes people go insane. It is evil. And so being part of the Falcon Crest faction means that some of those more moderate scholarly factions are like, mm, we don't really like the cut of your jib. You can't join with us. Yeah. Um, well, and it's also like, when you're talking about sacrifice for a plot, it should never be proportional or, and in a lot of ex- instances, should not be understood ahead of time, right? If you know that I need to give up X to get Y, then it becomes a math equation, right? If you know that you will have to sacrifice something to be able to get something that you want, and you don't necessarily know the full depth of either one of the sides of the equation, like, that's what makes the game fun, right? It's making choices makes the game fun. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's not looking at the optimal math equation, right? If we wanted to just look at the optimal math equation, you could play World of Warcraft, right? And, like, see that optimal math equation between the two choices you yeah. have to make. You know what I mean? Which, don't get me wrong, I love MMOs, but it's just, like, this is a different experience where you get to be part of that storytelling yourself, and you get to make the choice for what you want to do, but for that choice to matter, it can't be obvious. Right. The choice has to matter, and so yeah. the sacrifice has to be something you actually care about losing in order to get the thing you love. Um, and, you know, like Barris said, it, it is definitely not proportional, but we try really hard to make it not unreasonable as well. We don't say in order to join with Falcon Crest Faction, you must make active enemies of, mm-hmm. you know, the Argentide, who are a military organization that don't answer to any one country, and that's something that Falcon Crest doesn't really agree with. But, you know. But if you try and join both, you might find you know, eight months down the line that while you've, you know, dipped your toes in both, that somebody from the Argentide asks you to do something that will go against the things that you've, that you're currently doing for the Falcon Crest faction, and now you have to make that choice. Which one do you want? And you don't necessarily know what that outcome is going to be, or what's going to happen on the other side, right? Like, that's a choice that matters, right? Where you have right. to choose which one of these things do you want? Do you sacrifice your relationship with this group, you know, for this one? Because if you, a lot of players want this, and I totally get why, but they want that completionist part of them wants to be able to do it all, mm. right? But if you can do it all, then none of it matters, yep. right? Like, I find that all the time when I'm, like, involved in, you know, like, video games especially. Um, yeah, I mean, Skyrim's a great, the Elder Scrolls in mm-hmm. general is a great example of being able to do everything mm-hmm. and... You know, while I understand that that's a thing that some people really like, I've always found it relatively hollow myself. The fact that I can lead the Assassin's Guild and lead the Templars, the ultimate paragons of all that is good. I can be the leader of both of those, and I can lead the Warrior's Guild, who shuns magic and thinks it's terrible, but also be the High Arc Wizard of the Mage Academy, and things like that. While there are definitely some relatively logical and plain, if you do A... Q will be unavailable. If you decide to eschew magic, then joining wizardly organizations probably isn't on the table. Yeah. What's that letter choice? If you do A, then Q becomes unavailable? Who yeah. A and Q? Well, A is the thing you want, and Q because you don't really look that far down in the alphabet. Uh, so it's right. not B, because okay. those two things aren't necessarily connected. Yeah, that was good. Alright. Uh, so real quick, let's see. Uh, we got a few questions and comments here. So OG asks, was his plot with his hammer difficult or controversial at all? And then Brightworm asked for a brief, brief explanation of Boji's plot. And he said, Boji learned about and sought out a legendary magic hammer. And Brightworm said, probably should have seen that coming. And then Boji says he's a member of Falcon Crest and Argentide. So just a real quick explanation of Boji's plot, a little bit more in depth. His hammer is one of the four seasonal armaments that he discovered on, on a module when we were helping to for, reforge one of the sword of the uh, sword of summer 
So he kind of pursued finding that legendary hammer and reforging it as well. So that's like a brief explanation of his plot without going. And I wasn't here for that at all, so I, I can't give much more info. But was it difficult or controversial at all for you guys? Um, I would say at the outset, like, they're, I don't know if controversial is the right term. Uh, there was definitely a lot of discussion. Anytime you're putting in, I mean, so we already kind of talked a little bit about how like we one of the things you always have to balance when you're running a game like this is um like the balance of power between players mm -hmm. right like obviously we already have a extreme challenge in the fact that we've determined um for you know too many factors to go into now right that we want to have a game that lives in perpetuity right so nobody like we don't cap everyone at the same power level we like don't even try to restrict that amongst our player base right and then on top of that we put in things like, you know, magic items, artifacts, class abilities, et cetera, et cetera, that in some circumstances can have, you know, disastrous long-term effects on the balance of power between our player base. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Because um, you have to deal with somebody who's, you know, 2,000 skill points at the same time that you have to deal with somebody who's 100 skill points who just started their character eight months ago. You yeah. know what I mean? To somebody who's 22 skill points, who's NPC twice and just started their character for the first time, yeah. right? And balancing that, you know, 20-plus year player in the same environment as somebody who's you know only been around for a handful of months and again going back to how do we make sure that everyone has a chance to have fun right and that we don't take the fun away from anyone means that anytime that we look at something like boji's hammer there was definitely a lot of discussion amongst the plot team um about how do we approach it in a way that's going to have it be a plot line that's fun without taking away from anyone else because it's too good or too powerful or whatever right so like um you know, it's something that we definitely have to, like, that we spend a lot of time thinking through. I don't think controversial is the right yeah. term for it, but, you know, I think it's a great example of something that, um, you know, could be extremely simple if you just think about, you know, putting in a magic item that is a magic weapon, right? That we spend hours talking through even something like that to make sure that we really understand what the full implications are going to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the most difficult thing, really, with the plot was to decide what they like what what the weapons were mm -hmm. what they represented and what the end result was going to be um the ideal end result and then because with plots like that we generally let there be some player choice where we'll say you can do one thing or the other and you're not entirely sure what the outcome will be but you have some clues and like the thing that i always love to do i always love to put in the this is the selfish option if the pcs decide to <laughs> steal all the power and take it for themselves and this is the the you know the selfless option where they try to be helpful to everybody else and this is the new you know the don't help someone but try to help don't help any pcs but try to help a faction mm -hmm. or someone else who we might be yeah. associated with try to have just different options available so there's some like real choice involved yeah. and that's generally the most difficult part of it is figuring out what those are so they feel like they're real choices yeah, so they're impactful and um, also making sure that it's not because like just like we talked about earlier we don't necessarily want it to be a like choose a and here's what you get choose b and here's what you get choose c and here's what you get right you want to make it so that the choice has some mystery to it right um but also that we've really thought through okay well what do each of these choices do to impact you know these characters the plot line and the world overall right um so yeah i mean nothing is easy but i wouldn't say controversial necessarily mm -hmm. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Falcon Crest and Argentide were the examples I used because in a lot of ways they are very closely aligned. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, 
there comes there's the question of where do your loyalties lie if battle if battle lines are drawn. Yeah. If the Argentide decides that something needs to happen that Falcon Crest doesn't want to happen or Keep Falcon Crest does unnatural. He should have died too many times. Right. He's been resurrected how many times? It's unnatural. He must be destroyed. He's some kind of immortal supernatural creature. Uh, or even not that extreme, even if it's something relatively simple, of Falcon Crest wants to stay out of XYZ thing because yeah. it's just we can't get involved in that. The political, political ramifications are too terrible. We don't have the manpower, whatever it is. Whereas the Argentine is like, we will sacrifice everything for this. Come, you must join with us. It's like, who do you side with? Do you side with the Argentine and go and defeat the supernatural evil or do you stay sided with Falcon Crest and you stay out of it because they say that you might be needed for a later fight mm -hmm. which is the better choice Yeah, keep your power till later or use it now to defeat the clear and present danger um, also uh, pulling back the plot curtain a little bit off of Nevitz's question I oh, think he's been okay at not abusing the power uh, I agree but one of the things that we do do is we totally tailor magic items based on who's going to get it and how we think that they will use that power. Like, I would put a super artifact sword in certain players' hands that I would not put that same sword in other players' hands because the way they play and the way that they use their skills and their powers and things like that is far more impactful for the game than others. Mm -hmm. Like, we think back to that, is this going to make the game not fun for some players? And some of that is not even just, you know, the item that you make or the power set that somebody gets or whatever it might be, right? But who it's going to specifically and how will they interact with the player base around them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, honestly, like, putting in magic items is part of the way we kind of gauge how much we can trust players as far as, like, with power. Mm -hmm. is do you seek to power game and stomp all over everyone at all times, saying you're the best, going against that community narrative, or are you willing to be a bit more restrained, using it when it is important to your character, but mm -hmm. not ruining other players' fun? Um, so that's a thing we do from time to time. For like, I wonder how they will react to this thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but we also try and balance it to where, like, you know, there's a, you know, a relatively substantial, you know, subset of items that go in game that, like, as a plot team we don't even like look at or ask because Gomez mostly just handles those. And mm -hmm. like on some events we might be very controlled on what things we want to be put in that aren't like part of the actual plot that's being run. And on some, we just kind of let go and let the rule system cover itself because there's a balance for that, right? Just as much as we want to balance and tailor, you know, the items that go into game and the player's hands they end up in, there's a certain piece of this game that, you know, for some people is that how do I stack, you know, how do I get items to help make my character's numbers go up? Right. Mm -hmm. right. Um, and so we try to make sure that we, you know, just like I think Steve and I are both very much on one side of the fence, one side of the, what do you call it, right? Fence. The issue fence, yeah. whatever you want to call it, right? The spectrum. Um, the spectrum, that's great. On this where, like, Steve and I would probably love to never put a magic item in that's not tied directly to a plot line that's interesting storytelling-wise, yep. right? Whereas a lot of people really want to see a glut of magic items go in so their character can see these little perks that they get because it's a collecting like game for them and that's part of what makes it fun for them so we try to like be self-aware as the plot team of what actually is going to make things fun for our player base so that we can react to things like that to try and get over our own kind of internal biases about what yeah. what makes the game fun because if steve and i were the only two people running the game and had nobody talking to us about other stuff it would be a very different game because it would be like 99 percent just 
people telling stories to each other, I guess. Yeah. You know, that's one of the reasons we have a diverse plot team. And we try to, even if we kind of agree with each other, sometimes we'll take the opposite side of an argument. Yep. Just to be like, somebody's got to talk about the other side. Somebody has to stand up for... Because, like, I know the things that I don't like or don't care about. And I will often still, like, argue for them. Not for me. And not because it's what makes the game fun for me. But I know it's what makes the game fun for other players. And Mm -hmm. so that voice needs to be represented. Yeah. And, you know, even with Barris and I, like, I feel like we're generally pretty good about trying not to stomp all over other people after 20 years of playing the game. Yeah. But, you know, a plus four super sword of awesome in Barris's hands would be way more effective than in mine, because that's just the kind of character he plays. Yep. And there's, you know, that is also a consideration, is mm-hmm. we want to make sure we're not asking people to not play their character. Yeah. Yep. Well, at the same time, balancing them playing their character against the fun of the game. Right. It is a tightrope walk. It is always. It is a tightrope walk. So, I have a question that's more geared towards Steve. So, since we're talking about the seasonal armaments, did you ever consider that plot dead? And if so, how weird is it that you're back in charge of a plot that was started, what, ten some odd years ago? It has come full circle, because I started that plot. Yeah, you did. Um, I never considered it dead. Okay. Um... I just, you know, I stepped away from it for a little while because there was a point in time. So I put it in. I started that plot off of a random sword that got put in as a magic item that had the name Summer Sword. Mm -hmm. And so I decided I wanted to turn that into an actual thing because I was looking for a plot to run. Is that really 10 years ago? So I don't know. I don't know. I just took a guess. Like, it's probably. been a while, like, though. Probably close. 2009, 2010, sounds about right. Yeah. It was before Frank hurt his wrist. Yep. Because he was the one yeah, who got it. Yeah. used it, but then he hurt his wrist and he couldn't fight anymore. Um, like about that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. But yeah, no, so I put it in, and then initially it was just the summer sword. That was like it wasn't part of a set or anything like that. And then I ran a separate module where I decided, you know what? I was going to run a thing for specifically for a PC who couldn't make it to the event, and I'm not going to run it while they're not there, so what do I do? And I'm like, oh, the Summer Sword's here, uh, let's put in a little bit of backstory on this thing and have it be an optional puzzle PCs can solve. And they decided to solve it, and they're like, oh, it's part of a set of seasonal weapons, and that, that's when uh, Nevitz wanted to get involved in it, and it went from there, and then I took a step back from plot for a little while. I was around the time my daughter was born, and I needed to start spending more time with the family, so I took a step back, and I actually don't remember who picked it up after me to run it to the fulfillment of what the hammer is now, at least. I think it was Mike. It may have been. And then when I came back, that's when Marley was like, I'd really like to continue this. Does anyone have any problems with that? I'm like, no, if you're excited, man, go for it. It's always good to have people who are excited run things, and then... Things happen, and he wasn't able to do it, so I picked it back up, and so now I get to, to finish what I started, which is always fun. Yeah. yeah. So, no, so I, I never really considered it dead. I just, I did consider it for a while, like, being handled, that someone was actively running it, and we, as a plot team, we try really hard not to step on each other's toes. So even though, like, various things happened and it wasn't being run actively, there was, I had, I felt that I had to wait long enough to be like and now is the time where I can be like I'm just going to pick this up because nothing's happening with it yeah. without being like I am stealing your plot because um, that would be a dick move yeah. So, yeah. 
I think this is a great example of one of the, like, I would say not one of, the biggest benefit of Mythic Realms, and also its greatest curse, is the longevity of our game, right? Like, dealing with 22 years of a continuous storyline, because we've had sub-campaigns, we've run stuff off the side, you know, in the past, but, you know, at this point, the, the core plot of Mythic has been running for 22 years, I think, this April, something like that, 22, 23, um, and so, you know, when you talk about, well, did you ever consider this plot dead, you know, I don't think as a plot team, we might consider that the, like, story that we're running has been completed, but, like, I don't know if we ever really think of as a plot being dead, because we live in a, like, continuous plot line, it's one of the things that we're committed to, just like we want to have continuous character growth, Mm -hmm. so you can play the same character the whole 22 years if you want to, right, we want to have a uh, plot line that strings that full 22 years and everything that happened you know 22 years ago when jamie first started running you know the cerulea campaign or whatever you want to call it still is true today even if it's not the focus because we try to keep um you know moving forward to keep things you know as engaging as we can for newer players without necessarily getting bogged down in it Mm -hmm. you know so like 10 years sounds like a really long time or you know eight years whatever the actual number ends up being um you know, but at the same time, that's something that we deal with a lot of, like, okay, well, this plot has been, you know, like, kicking around for this long. Yeah, let's come back around on this story and let's tell this one again, because we have people that are interested, or one of the runners picks it up and says, hey, this is the thing that kind of tickled my fancy, and I want to run with it. Yeah, and a lot of it is, uh, as well, we try, a lot of plots that are in, that are high profile, like, that if somebody has to step away for whatever reason, um, we try to wrap up, rather than just let fizzle sometimes Mm -hmm. there are things that fizzle because you can't players like i've put in lots of plots that never go anywhere because people just aren't interested in being involved in them and that's just Mm -hmm. that's how it works not every idea is a great idea Mm -hmm. um and not everything is as fun in to people when you say it out loud as it is in your head that's just like the reality of it i'm not (laughs) offended by that i i get that there are lots of ideas that i have like oh this would be really fun people like that sounds miserable um but yeah so we'd really try to to wrap stuff up if nothing else we try to in, envelop it in something else that is being wrapped up that way it's not just what happened i don't know it just kind of poofed it's yeah, oh it got up. resolved with x y and z yeah. um but no i'm i'm excited to be able to pick it back up and bring it full circle uh so since we're talking about magic items and you guys have talked about it a little bit but like who comes up with the magic items, and do you have like a rule set to like verify like who who, who finalizes them? Like, so, yeah, so a couple of things with it. So generally speaking, it's Gomez, okay, um, who creates most of the magic items. He has his own formulas to balance things out mm-hmm. based on ba- assigning values to what things are and what things do, um, and then. But if we have something specific we want, we let him know, Mm -hmm. and we work with him to get it created. Um, And it's really good to have him as a check to make sure that things don't go in that have consequences that we don't foresee. Mm -hmm. Because he he can look at something and say, but did you consider this thing? Mm -hmm. And sometimes Jesse was like, oh no, that's a great point. For me, most of the time is, Gomez, this is the theme of the thing I want. I don't actually care what it does. Yeah. And I just let him run with it. There have been a couple of times where I'm like, specifically, it's really important for this thing, even though it breaks the magic item, you know, point mold. system or whatever. Whatever it I is. I don't think it's actually a point system, but whatever. No, I think it's uh, yeah. uses. Right. But because yeah. some things have to be special. 
um, there are some abilities that we don't allow on magic items because they have to be unique to the whatever the source of that thing is. Mm -hmm. Because there has to be some things that are special. There have to be some mysteries still to be solved and things like yeah. that. So for the most, so there are things where we're like it is impossible to get this without going through so many hoops. It just becomes not worth it. It's like, do you really want this thing? Okay, it is a five-year quest, and it is going to cost you 150 gold um, in order to accomplish this. And what you are going to get is not worth either of those things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just because, you know, in or it, like I said way earlier, if, if everything is like this, then nothing is special. Yeah. Um, I was actually really against a lot of artifice because it mimics what other things can do specifically for that reason so I'm like well if everyone can make true vision things if alchemists can make true vision potions and uh, mm -hmm. medicine people can make true vision salves and rune crafters can make true vision runes then it's not special that because that was one of the main reasons in the past someone would pick up scroll makings that was the only way to get true vision items was through yeah. a true vision scroll mm -hmm. But it became, because it's like, no, now everyone can do it. It's like, well, now it's not special anymore. Now it doesn't matter. So, but that's a balancing act. I am talking about spectrums on the way more extreme side of that than many other people. Um, which is fine, because many voices make for a better thing yep. than one voice. Uh, but generally speaking, Gomez uh, is the one who handles all the magic item creation um, and making sure that things are relatively balanced. And he's really good about asking, like, is this part of a plot or is this just a thing you want to do? Because mm. if it's part of an active plot, there's a lot more leeway with what we're willing to do. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah and it's really good. Like, I, we talk about the, like, four people on the plot team right now, but really, you know, I think you have to kind of, like, and we think of it this way at least. He's involved in pretty much every discussion we have as, like, a, mm -hmm. like, regular plot meeting. Like, Gomez is really kind of our silent fifth member, not necessarily because he runs stuff, although he helps us and, like, NPCs a lot when we ask and he's been around with our crew for that for a very long time with me and uh, me, Steve and Mike, but, um, you know, he really does help us a ton with, you know, balancing some of Steve and mine's, you know, like we've said many times, drive towards, like, very story-driven game, right? He's very good about understanding that, but playing that devil's advocate of, okay, but really here's what you need to consider from that kind of, like, rules, system, style, like, aspect, um, you know, that's very helpful even if it's infuriating sometimes to me. Mm -hmm. Even the, I mean, the best discussions we have as the plot team are me, Mike, and Barris yelling at each other at the top of our lungs, being furious because none nope. of us agree on anything, but we know we have to get to a point sometimes those where are the we best agree. Ones, though. Those are some of the best yep. arguments. Some of our best plots can yep, come from, from screaming that. matches. Yep. <laughs> because that's, when it comes down to it, like I said, many voices make for better yeah. plots. Like, the best plots I've run and some of the most memorable plots I've run are because I've talked to people and been like, that's a terrible idea. Don't do that. Do this instead. <laughs> like, but I like my thing. It's like, yeah. oh. And then at the end, I'm like, nope, they were right. This was the best way. To, this was a better way to do it. Well, and the reason that I think we so often get to like, and not like actual screaming matches, but like get in, you know, arguments about this stuff is because we're all so passionate about it, right? Like we mm -hmm. all really care. And yeah. so when we see something that we don't think is the right way to approach something, like, um, like, uh, sorry, completely lost my train of thought. Um, but it's because we're all passionate about it. And so when we see something, we like feel compelled 
to make sure that we really hash it out and come to a like you know point where we have comfort with it even if like we definitely don't always get what we want but like you know we definitely try to get to that point yeah um so real quick we got some comments and questions so Nevis says I'm actually going to be submitting some magic items fun and silly magic items because those are my favorite uh, we have a question from Brightworm real quick. Goro says, hello. Hi, Goro. Says, good lord, dude on the right of the camera wearing blue looks like a washed up pro wrestler who's coming out of retirement to fight a local gym for the suburb championship. <laughs> Something tells me he's fast with the quibs. He's going to throw rocks in the white shirt eyes and do a Ric Flair. Woo! I'm not really fast with the quibs. This armor weighs me down, man. I don't move a lot. You could have so. done a better woo than that. Come woo! on. Woo! <laughs> so... Uh, Brightworm asks, with a 22-year plot in history, is there a feeling that the world and players will self-correct if game runners allow something that turns out to be much too disruptive? Um, so, yes, that has happened in the past. Um, there, have been, there have been times where there's a couple of people who run stuff um, that shifts the game so far in a direction that nobody really likes that a lot of the players kind of force the self-correction. Um, we try really hard not to get to that point because it's a, it's a lot of work yeah. to do that because we really don't like we don't like rewinding things, we don't like reversing things we don't like saying that never happened mm -hmm. um, because we want to try to find reasons to do it. There was, uh, there was a point in time where both Varys and I, we stepped away from plot for a number of years. Uh, Varys moved out of state, I had kids um and then, you know, the people who, a lot of the people who were running plot just uh, uh, took the game in a different direction that a lot of people um, didn't like as much. Hello. Hi, doggy. Yeah. Um, and so when we came back, um, it wasn't, a lot of it was how do we, how do we make it so, because there was still some good stuff that they ran and people were still actively involved in that. So how do we make it? still matter mm -hmm. how do we make the the decisions pcs made the factions they became involved with um because they tried to make the best of it certainly um and so it's how do we make this still matter while course correcting the game yeah. um and so a lot of times the players will do that and some of the more long-standing people who've been involved will, will step back up to do that but yeah it's just uh, the unfortunate side of that is there are some people who just move on and decide that the game has turned into something that they're not really interested in being a part of anymore and move on. And that's a thing that, you know, if that happens because people's life circumstances change or they decide they want to do or different hobbies, that's totally cool. That happens to everybody. Um, at some point, people change. But the thing we don't want is people walking away because like, oh, man, this isn't just fun. This just isn't fun anymore. Um, that's that's the big concern. That's the thing we try to avoid is yeah. it just not being fun. Yeah. yeah, and I think there's different types of shifts like that that can happen because we've had some shifts that were from a... Um, it, we've had some shifts that were like a substantial change from a plot perspective that have gone in that we've had to deal with and substantial changes from a... Um, like, I don't know, is vibe the right word, right? Like a theme of the game perspective. Yeah. And you kind of have to deal with them differently like, for example, I don't know if I should, like, point out mistakes that we have made in the past, but, like, there was a plot that uh, we ran a very long time ago 
where we essentially did a like myriad of time dilations for different oh, yeah, parts yeah. of the world um, that like I will say it now I think we've talked about this a handful of times was a, it was a huge mistake it was like we did not execute super well it was uh, confusing to players like a lot of the lessons we've learned I think come from how we approach that yeah. right and so we never unwind that because we didn't want to just like wave our hands and say that that never happened we ran mm-hmm. a plot about it for like a year about how this thing was going to work Right, and we changed a lot of how the world worked around it, right? But we've definitely like had to move forward and change kind of like some of the goals that we originally had to fall back in line with the themes of the game that we're gonna make for a better long term game. Right. So it's hard when you have this continuous plot line where you can never hit the reset button, right? Because unwinding challenges like that can be really hard. I think it's easier when it's a player base concern, because that's more how we as a community handle the theme of our game, right? Like, do we keep it as a, um, like, you know, relatively good guy-themed game, you know, that moves forward in a way that's, you know, very friendly towards all, you know, play styles, or do we let the game get, which it has in the past, to a very non-good guy-themed game where it is very hard to be a part of the, like, player base if you aren't willing to compromise your character's morals, right? And, like, I think those are both real challenges, and the self-correcting one is definitely more the theme style, right? I think that one self-corrects, like, we had at one point in time where that was very much the theme of the game, and it self-corrected because Steve moved back and refused to have the game be that way, and, like, self-corrected it as one player, right? I was very loud on events. (laughs) Steve was very loud on events. Um, And then, you know, the plot ones, we definitely have to spend more time and effort on how we can correct those. You know what I mean? Because I think it takes a lot more, you know, forethought because we want to make sure that we, you know, maintain the integrity of whatever that plot was run. But like Steve was saying, for, you know, either stuff that we've done in the past or stuff that other people have done, how do we maintain its integrity while still finding a good way to drive it forward that's beneficial for the players in the game? You know? Yeah, and, like, both of those examples, um, so the one where the the player bait, there was a, each one, each time, like, something, a shift like this happens because there's a, generally, it's a small group that thinks that it'll be a really, that like this is the thing that they want to do, whether a small group that's running a type of event or a small group of players that play to a certain style, like to the players that play to a certain style, um, the issue was they decided they wanted to be a more evil group. Um, They weren't like run around and murder everyone, but they definitely didn't care about, you know, the laws of the kingdoms they were in. They didn't mm-hmm. care about other PCs. They didn't care about helping out. They're very mercenary, but they were very dishonest mercenary, very cutthroat. They'd steal a lot from the other players and things like that. And it was, you know, a lot of the other players were just like, well, don't rock the boat type thing, even if they didn't necessarily like it. There were some who were like, I want to see where this goes yeah. and see what happens with this story. And others were like, this isn't very fun, but I don't really want to get on their bad side or couldn't do it and so um but but it was you know maybe a group of 10 10 or 15 players so it was a relatively large group but at the time we actively had you know 35 40 people at an event so they were still like not a, ma- a majority group who did this just the rest of the people were either uncomfortable with it or neutral um, and so a lot of people started just play, adjusting the way they played their characters to be more neutral aligned so they could be more okay with what happened. Um, but when I came back, I decided that I did, my character didn't like it. And so I spearheaded the movement 
to realign the game back and the plot team had shifted to also be like oh i guess people are adapting their characters to allow this thing so the more yeah. the, the plots and the things we're going to run are going to be more on geared the towards that. geared towards that plate you know have the theme be the game is a bit more dark and the players want to do a bit more of the dark and evil selfish stuff um, when i came back i was very vocal and all the pcs who weren't happy with it quickly rallied to me um just because i was vocal about it mm -hmm. and essentially just bringing it to light was like this is a choice we are making as a in-game pc group you know the town of players we are deciding that this is the type of organization we want our town to be is that what we want and you know we did the correction that way and then another correction that was an out-of-game correction was uh there was a group of people who wanted to change the theme of the game to to allow steampunk to get to be instead of high fantasy wizards, dragons, knights, etc., uh, to be steampunk, guns and airships and things like that, um, and they were starting to kind of make a push. They'd started to, you know, the, all their characters they had costumes that were way more steampunk style. They really wanted to push allowing Nerf guns as viable weapons in combat, and that was one where we had to basically we're the player base had to decide what do we want the theme of the game to be? Do we want it to be high fantasy? Do we want to incorporate steampunk? What do we want to do? And, and ultimately, it was the player base. It's like we, as a whole, don't want steampunk. Yeah, we but like we tried really hard because, like, when that came up with the you know steampunk mm -hmm. theme, right? We let it kind of like we talked about it and let it go for a while. I mean, it was maybe like six months that we let him like use those little Nerf guns to try it out and like yeah, that we, we kind of like we want incorporated to a little bit into the want. game and see how it felt. And then at the end of the time, we just kind of determined. Like, the player base, we talked to everyone about it, um, and everyone decided, like, no, this isn't the direction we want to go, so we're not going to allow these to happen. But, you know, if people want to do that, because we think it's an interesting, like, you know, it's a different theme, but it's an interesting style of play. Um, you know, we offered for the guy who wanted to run that to run a steampunk western LARP as part of, like, Mythic mm -hmm. as a side campaign, uh, which unfortunately never got off, off the ground, because I was excited for it got all my costuming together and oh, yeah, steampunk yeah. guns the, for the like a western style like nerf gun thing right and was like super excited for it but then it never ended up happening but you know we try really hard when that stuff comes up to like make sure that it's not just that you know like the plot team or me and steve and three other people don't like it mm -hmm. so it can't happen but more like what does the player base really want because this is a community it's not just you right. know what we want to have happen you know which i think is what makes it way more fun if it was just the game that like i wanted to play in just like getting what you want, eventually I would get bored of it. But because it's not, and I have to adapt my playstyle to what everyone else is doing, as long as there's a consensus amongst the players that it's something that we want to, like, see, you know, mm -hmm. we try really hard to, like, really understand it until it gets to the point where it becomes bad for the game, like it has in the past. Yeah. Yeah, part of the, the, the shift for the player, like, the, the big player group that wanted to, like, direct the game towards the, the dark and evil alignments... Um, was that it was people weren't ju just weren't having a whole lot of fun yeah um that one group was having fun because that's like what they wanted to do but even the pcs who were viewing themselves to be more neutral weren't having a whole lot of fun with it because mm -hmm. the other group was essentially um, just like domineering and doing everything they mm -hmm. wanted with an attitude of like well we have 15 people in solidarity you can't stop us so ha 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 we'll do whatever we want which you know very quickly moved into that thing we talked about a ton which is not necessarily that it was like it was moving to the point where it was actively not making the game not fun for a group of people, which is like what has to be avoided. 
to make it sustainable. And what was really good about the example is, like, even though I've been with the game for a long time, I've never had, like, I've never actively played a character that could be considered a super character in any way. Um, I've had characters who get powerful, but certainly no more powerful than any of the other powerful people Mm -hmm. get. Um, But it was just that because I was vocal, because Mm -hmm. I, I was willing to be like, no, this is a choice we're making, is this the choice? It was really good to see people be like, no! Even if everybody's like, yes, I would have probably, out of game, I would have been fine with that, if yeah. that's the, the direction, but I felt like people weren't talking because they felt like they didn't want to rock the boat. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the like one of the people that was part of that group, um, like, once he started to understand how the, like, his actions in-game were making it not fun for other players in-game, like, He's fantastic. Still one of the greatest people I've ever gamed with, and I miss him so dearly. Um, but, like, very much changed his... Uh, like, stayed true to his character, but found a way to change his playstyle to make him more inclusive once he realized, like, really understood the negative implications of his actions on yeah, other players' I mean, funds. Like, he, he, like, flip-flopped to the exact opposite. and Yeah, I mean, this group, they weren't doing anything maliciously. Yeah, they were all, all young. I think the oldest person in the group was, like, 17 or 18 when they all started. They were all, like... Yeah. Just like there's one of their earlier or first LARP experiences, and this is just like, yeah, it's just like a D&D game, and we want to play the dark, shady, mercenary group yeah. that's willing to walk the line and do the evil thing, and they didn't really see what the ramifications of what their actions were. And then yeah. once they started realizing it, like the vast majority of them just like mm-hmm. allowed their characters to change in game and be like, I mean, oh. like literally every one of them. I'm trying to think if there were any that like. I don't think there I don't were think any, any of them like, like stuck to like. Trying to make yeah, the game I mean, not they, fun for other players. Some, some of them, them were like darkish, but like yeah, it's like I want to be like I want to walk the line, yeah. but they weren't like ruining anybody's fun. Which is fine. We love yeah. evil characters. Evil characters are great. People should play characters, or not even necessarily evil, but characters that you know take less than ideal action, right? Because it helps make the game more fun. It's just that you know how do you balance it, not making the game not fun for another group? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we found that in general, the most people, the most fun people have is when the the game itself is generally good aligned, mm-hmm. but we have the space for players yeah. who want to be dark, shady, or on the evil side. We allow them the opportunity to explore that and be sneaky about it. Um, just kind of like its own little sub-game yeah. within it, because the, it means that the majority of the people who play are able to feel like they are inclus- included and are able to have their fun, and the people who want to be walk on the dark side of things can do that. Lounge live on Sundays at 12 p.m. Mountain Standard Time at twitch.tv slash Aristar. That's twitch.tv slash A-R-R-U-S-T-A-R. Uh, yeah. So, got a few more. So, peak woo. Yeah, see, that's why I didn't want to go woo so loud. So I didn't want to, like, peek out the mic. But it looks like we did it anyway, so... Goro says, if you truly love LARP, why don't you introduce a new necromancer who has created a virus unlike any before? You could call it coronavirus. His henchmen could steal all the leaves so no one can have restrooms downtime. Uh, we kind of had... I mean, back in the day, we had a necromancer run the tavern and made everybody afraid of eating. He, he'd buy the, the latex elf ears that people would wear. He bought like 20 of them and he boiled them all <coughs> to sanitize them and then he hid them in people's food. Yeah, funny. <laughs> he like he put one in a salad and put another in a chili. <laughs> like, oh, sorry, I didn't think that happened. So, uh, that was pretty funny. Uh, and then so Brightworm says, 
Oh, what's really going to blow your mind at Goro is when you realize that the host Twitch theme matches his outfit. How is that for extra? Yeah. <laughs> I'm all about the scale armor. Yeah. But, uh, it is pretty dope. You can't see the... Look, it looks even better in person. <laughs> Thanks. It is pretty dope. <laughs> uh, let's see. Goro says, that's when the player should kidnap that player. Let them let them know once you're beat in the LARP life. The only way out is being beat out. Uh, and then Brightworm says, great answer, folks. And uh, Goro says, why wouldn't the LARPing god just make things more and more difficult for the group? Almost like divine forces are changing things to fit the whole world versus the chunk. Because uh, that makes it not fun. Yeah, yeah. like that's if a really good question. There like, ha- it, it is more fun. So the way that the guy who led this group changed is he realized how effective I was at getting what I wanted. Because I like was... from the plot side. From the plot side. Yeah. He realized that all the things my character was pursuing, I was finding great success. And he was having a hard time because he didn't have allies. He didn't have factions who would back him. And the PC town as a whole weren't as willing to be like yes we will give up things to help you because you're our homie and so like the change the peak of the change was he came to us out of game actually Mm -hmm. and was like I'd love to have a pseudo out of game and in game conversation with you guys because I'm still learning how all this works and we're like okay so we went and had lunch and he's like the in game conversation is my character comes to you and he's like I want to be you, how do I do that? (laughs) And the out-of-game side was, he's like, this seems like it's going to be a lot more fun, how do I do that? Mm. Um, If there's not the ability for people to have choice in changing their actions, then um, it's just not fun because they feel they're being blocked. Now, that being said, that doesn't mean the people who run the game um, didn't make a shift towards doing things more good, which also made it harder for him. So yeah. that part did happen because he realized that the opportunities for him and his group to steamroll everyone were drastically diminishing because the tone of the game was changing. So just the tone of the game changing was definitely part of that, Goro. Um, it's just we want to make it so we never have to bring down the I am the DM and thus my lord is law. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because that's actually a thing that people quit the game over. Because they feel like the things that they want aren't even being considered. And again, it comes to everybody's opinion is valid. You just have to make sure you work with them to understand that their valid opinion is not the only valid opinion. So you have to be like, so how does this, how do you make the community work as a community? Um, It's it's, honestly, it's a lot more like economics and economic policy, right? You want to make small shifts from a plot perspective, mm -hmm. right? rather than having substantial impact because substantial impact goes away very quickly, right? Like if you bring down the hammer and say, I as the DM say you can't do this and I stop your character from doing something. I'm not saying there's never a time you shouldn't do that, but like in general, it just doesn't have the long-term impact whereas subtle shifts through, you know, like a small change in the way that you like introduce certain NPCs to help people who are like playing the game in the correct way, which doesn't mean being a good character, Right, but are playing the game to help foster more fun for everyone else. We're like we generally spend a little bit more time on people who do that because it's good. It's good for the game. Yeah, and even the even the players who who have played evil characters, um, they're just basically the the way you be successful in that is you you cheat a little bit, and by cheat a meta game as in let out of game 
factors influence your character's in-game decisions. Yep. And the, the extent that we allow that is knowing your audience when you're doing things. Yeah. Like, there are some characters who are evil who just know, it's like, there's an opportunity for me to rob this character blind, or something that my character would generally do. However, I'm going to find a reason to justify why I didn't do that, because if I do it to this specific player, they're probably going to quit and never come back. Just yeah. because they're not at a point where that is fun for them. Yeah. And I mean, Jamie played one of the evilest characters that I think we've ever had in the game. Yeah. And played it extremely successfully because everyone loved him. Because he was just the nicest guy to his friends. He made sure everyone was his friend. And he never was angry with anyone. And he was just generally helpful. And th there are definitely ways to do it. Yeah. Um, it's just we want to make sure that we we temper the expectations, I guess, of what, you know, what the general theme of the game is, and, like, the overt mustachio-twisting evil is something that we embrace, but we always give the caveat, the end for your character is all the other characters killing you. Yeah. That is the end to expect. Yeah. Um, and there's, that, that has happened a couple of times. Yep. And we just want to have that conversation with the player out of game to be like, hey, we just want to make sure that you know if you're going to put, you know, five years of efforts into this character to play a mustache twisting villain at the end to betray the PCs like we're gonna give them the opportunity to get their vengeance on you like have you really thought this through are you prepared for this you know because yeah because that's not the game that we like that's not the theme of our game yeah. you know what I mean yeah and you know the, I feel like the theme we currently have the thematically the game is good while giving the people who want to play darker evil shady whatever um, that alignment of character uh, is relatively successful yeah. because it gives people the opportunity to do what they want while still being able to interact with the PC group as a whole because a lot of the fun comes from being able to interact with all the other players. Um, so, For sure. But yeah. So Nevitt says, I have enjoyed the game more since Northwatch became a more united front. Uh, uh, Goro says, have you ever had a LARPer mate with a creature LARPer and create a new breed of offspring LARPer? Uh, yes, the experiments are still pending. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk in 15 years. But who told are, you? When they are old enough for testing to begin. <laughs> okay. And then he asked, how many people have LARPed as Motoro from those insurance commercials? Half man, half motorcycle. We don't have it. We only have centaurs in our world, unfortunately. <laughs> no, no, we do not. Too hard to fizz rap. Yeah, yeah way too hard. Uh, we do have... Uh, we did have one guy, though, play a minotaur who came in in a cow costume. That was kind of funny. Oh, yeah? The black and white Halloween cow Halloween costume with the udder and everything. It was pretty hilarious. Ooh, that's yeah. great. Uh, then Miss Cheyenne subscribed to me. Yay! Eight months in a row. It's my, it's my dance for everyone who subscribes. Well, thank you yeah, for the support. Yeah, thank you for the subscription. Yeah. I appreciate that. Very exciting. Um, okay, so let's see. Um, We've got that one. So what has been, like, a favorite plot line of your guys's? Hmm. So. And alternatively, what has been, like, your worst plot line? Worst plot line was the chronophage. I feel. I, think I know. One, I know you hate that one so much. I love the theory of it. I think it's just, it's it's the thing that we, right, it was too complex, and its execution it's was just five, too hard. Two years after it happened, it was way too hard for a new character coming in to be like, that was the how was problem. I part of that? And we're like, well, you can't play a character 
Like, you can't from, be a character from the Roth from these places because it's been a hundred years since anyone lived there. And they're like, so if but you play a character, you were you there can, from two you years can't ago. Have a, you can't have a character history yeah. that is not, I lived in a farmhouse wishing for adventure. Um, and that just wasn't fun for anyone. Yeah. So, yes. Uh, I, that wasn't my most hated, though. Certainly. I mean, not most hated. Yeah, that's fair. Or most disliked, even. Um, I think... Gosh. It, so, I think one of... It's probably still the first I ran is one of my favorite, the Gladelands yeah. series. Yeah. It was the Gladelands is a is a very small uh, country in the continent of Laroth that is inhabited mostly by the Fae, the fairy folk. Uh, it is relatively small and often um, considered part of another kingdom uh, by the other kingdoms. But uh, just <laughs> a lot of the the role play that happened, the the sacrifices that the PCs had to make, and then the twist at the end. Um, just the, the look of horror on the PCs' faces as they realized what actually had happened and what they allowed to, <laughs> to do um, was pretty, I think, was pretty phenomenal. The, the, the one I like the least, I was only involved in on one event, but it, was, it left such a bad taste in my mouth, I had to walk away. And it was just, it wasn't... It was someone trying to enforce their... It was the game runner trying to enforce their will on the players. Mm. Trying to eliminate player choice and saying, this happens, you cannot stop it. There is no power or ability you have that can fix it. And in some cases, that is an appropriate answer for some things that happen. But the I won't go into any a lot of detail because I'll talk about it for way too long and I don't want people to feel <laughs> like I'm picking on them. Um, but essentially, it was someone who was running a thing who was like, oh, you made a choice, and that choice was to go on the adventure. Now I punish you for going on the adventure, for being here on the module. And it was like, I was there for one maybe, I did that one maybe two events, um, and then I was just like, I'm done. Because not only was there that, where it felt like you were just punished for being there, um, it was initially pitched as something very different from what was actually run and what mm -hmm. it turned into being. And I just, I just did not have any fun. There were some people who stuck it out. Overall, the majority of people who were involved in that say they did not have a whole lot of fun, and they would like, they would be very happy if that type of thing never happened again. Um, but they, they stuck with it because they're like, there are happy moments. There are times where we will make our own fun, and so they'll just go on the event to do that. I, I was not personally willing to do that. Um, probably the. There's only been one plot line that's ever actively been shut down by the players and the plot team itself. Um, it was a, a sub-campaign uh, that was run years and years ago, so designed to be like the super high-powered campaign yeah. where everybody starts <laughs> with a thousand skill points type of ridiculousness. Wow. Um, where after like the third or fourth event, the players and the plot team would just like shut it down. It is not fun for anyone because yeah. the person running it was just like, no, do you have a thousand levels of this skill? No, your character dies. It doesn't matter what you do. Um, and that was happening all the time, and nobody understood what it was. Well, it was also, like, it's one of those challenges where, like, we've had a lot of people run, like, sub-campaigns, where they've, like, tweaked the, like, expectations of players, right? So, like, one thing we talk about a lot on the plot team, and, like, in storytelling in general, is, like, uh, subverting expectations, right? Um, and if you always subvert expectations suddenly it's not fun because you're not subverting expectations you've just changed the expectation and that campaign in particular 
everything they did was intended to subvert expectations, which meant that it just became... Right, the expectation like, just changed. Yeah, like, it just, just changed the expectation, and so it was no longer fun that you had, you know, extremely weak monsters that were actually 10,000-point super wizards, because every time you encountered something, that's what it was, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that one was a struggle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think probably my favorite plot that we've run... And, like, I don't know, it's really hard, because there's a lot of stuff that I really like, but I think that the plot surrounding the circle was, was just really so good. good. So we ran this plot about a um, circle of wizards and druids that were dealing with this ancient enemy that reared its head that they had to um, like support this group to help the PCs with the enemy that was coming for them too. And um, you know, through that they made like, we, we just did a really, really good job with how we designed all of the characters mm-hmm. that they encountered within the circle mm-hmm. so that every one of them, like at least I think, and maybe Anyone who's a part of that that wants to tell me that I'm wrong, I would love to hear it. But, uh, you know, everyone really just, like, emotionally connected to the characters that we built within this group. And the whole plot line was was great. And, like, the end result was good. We had, like, a death within one of the characters that left players in tears. We had players take deaths that felt like it was meaningful and that it, like, really changed their LARPing experience. We had, like massive world secrets that we unveiled in a way that I think was just like I don't know we, yeah, we spent a ton of time putting that entire plot line from like the very humble beginnings yeah. where it felt like it grew very naturally and it was so much time and effort on our part but I think it was probably one of the best things that we that I've ever been a part of running yeah no and that's like the circle is like our at least for me it's the model of how we, fa- how we create NPC groups because the circles like the whole point of them is they were a support group they did not have the ability to be driving like offensive force yeah or even defensive force in this conflict all they could do is support and the way that we did that and the pcs interacted it just it, it created such a great dynamic between them because the pcs act their whole per the pcs basically saw them as this npc group their whole purpose is to support and help me succeed and someone is attacking them they are thus attacking me um and so there was yeah. like or they were a lot of the PCs really got close to those NPCs, and when the the deaths in the, in the circle happened, it was like it was a, a tragedy, and PCs yeah. were like outraged, like broken up by it. And because we use that as a model for all plots that we run going forward, that's why we constantly kill off my NPCs. All of your NPCs Every must time. die. Every eventually, NPC eventually, it'll also be you know meaningful. So uh, we'll, subvert, we'll subvert that expectation until yeah. it is the expectation. If Ferris plays an NPC, they're dead. They are destined to die permanently <laughs> and forever. <laughs> uh, so Brightworm says, breaking a little more serious here. Related to Dark Elves and Incentive LARP costuming, a lot of LARPers of... Oh, Insensitive LARP costuming. A lot of LARPers of color have said that they see Blackface Dark Elves as a serious no for them. If they see it, they're out. Do you allow this at your games? Blackface for Elves or other fantasy races? And if so, is there a path to move beyond that? If not, do you allow it before and how did you stop? Yeah, so mm-hmm. we uh, we did have dark elves that were um, like traditional, like full black with ears, silver um, hair, silver hair um, for a very long time. Uh, we have changed to uh, change their racial makeup to be purple or blue with um, colored tattoos. Yeah, so it's mostly now um, the thought is black can be your base, but there has to be very it has to be very clearly dominated with blue and purple so it looks like intricate tattoos more than anything else yeah 
Um, but you can also, it, but players who don't want to go that way, they could, instead of using black as the base, they could use blue or dark purple as the base with black making up like the tattoos. tattoos. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the thought is with the, the Zelikyu, the dark elf uh, makeup, is it is very intricate uh, full body tattoos. Yeah. Yeah. And it's something that, you know, I think. You know, this is coming up a lot in the LARP communities, kind of like nationwide, and not even just in the U.S., but you know, in Europe too, um, about how do we deal with this? Because I think it's been a part of um, like just kind of the fantasy paradigm for a very long time, right? And you know, pretty much as soon as we started seeing that change happening at other LARPs, right, and being a part of that on uh, you know either through you know forums like you know Reddit or just you know our interactions with people that LARP, um, you know, outside of our community and it's something that we had been brought up before then right by people who had either played Zelikyu or saying like hey like we should really think about this and it just mm -hmm. was never um like really a focus that came up um and then as soon as it did we kind of like pretty quickly and universally made the decision to have an in-game plot reason for why we were going to have this change occur and then just executed on it yep pretty we much immediately ran a storyline um, on a weekend yeah and made the makeup changes go live yeah because again, we don't like saying this never was. Um, we're fine saying this is how it used to be. This is why it is now different. Yeah. And fortunately, as part of our storyline, we actually had a like the originations of the Zeliki race, right? Which is what we had as dark elves that were never really the like traditional like drow um, for the most part. Uh, but we already had kind of a like creation mythos for them that involved why their why their skin to changed to be black. Um, and so we had, you know, we used, we were able to kind of like lean on that existing mythos to change it, oh, nice. you know, going forward, which I think was, um, yeah, the, was the original reason was because their society of the elves in our game are broken up into different societies. The Zelikyu or the dark elves, um, had a lot of the way they represented in their societies, lots of different tribal tattoos over their face, their arms, lot, most of their body to represent their achievements and things like that, um, and their status within their society, and then essentially their their race were conquered, and to make them not, basically as part of taking their old identity away and giving them a new identity that they are now the favored servants of this dark, evil creature, um, it took all of their tattoos away, and basically either made them white or black to just blotted out entirely and now the that curse was broken and they are now again to have allowed to have their racial tattoos and regain that identity that was stolen from them mm. yeah nice uh brightware muscles is also do you have any tips for game runners in handling social change kindly and moving forward uh part of it for me is acknowledge is it's hard because I think I see where you're coming from on that. It's with the the people you're running with, recognizing that there is a problem with that thing, whatever it is. Making jokes about sexual assault um, is like is not okay because of how prevalent sexual assault is, and we shouldn't normalize it. Yeah. Um, and so it it's hard for some people, especially when that was part of their upbringing to recognize that that is a bigger part of the problem and that normalizing it contributes to the problem and that the goal isn't to not have fun. The goal, and the goal isn't to invalidate the past and to say, well, you are a bad person in the past because this wasn't a consideration then, but it is now. 
to me at least it's saying that we can all become better as people we can become better as a game we can become better as larpers as gamers as whatever and move forward and the way we're going to do that is we're not going to invalidate the past but we're going to say we're making a choice to get better and move forward so the types of things we want to discourage are these things that contribute to a problem even if we don't directly see the problem it contributes to it does contribute to the problem we just need to recognize the reality of the situation and become better and move forward with that yeah I think. yeah I, I totally agree and i think like this also kind of comes back to you know i think the the core concept at least for like steve and i and i think for most people like you mentioned everyone that's come on has really talked about like the community and it being more of like a family right is mm -hmm. that this is a community this isn't like your, you know, and this is not just true for Mythic, but I think for any LARP, right? Like it should, the decision shouldn't be driven by your plot team or by your staff. It should be driven by your community and your plot team and your staff should really just be like representative, representative of, of your community, right? So I think that if you're, you know, somebody who's, you know, on staff, you know, administratively for a game or if you're running plot for a game, like, you know, understanding that changes like this that come up are not, like should not be driven as an impact to your ego, right because that's not the intent of them it's really just how do we make this a better community for everyone and the community as a whole should you know be understanding to make that change right you know right. uh Nevis gaming says darth maul style basically in, in response to the zelda thing so um, yeah Bright very similar to that yeah Priorum says really thoughtful kind answers folks well thank you for that and, and they've been doing really good. those are some hard questions you guys have been doing a good job so uh Speaking of some societal norms and stuff like that, and this is something that they asked last week that I was kind of wondering myself. James kind of answered it, but he, he couldn't do it in any official capacity. But uh, mm -hmm. what are our, and I don't want to talk about this too much because it's on everybody's mind, but what are our plans for coronavirus? Uh, so right now, uh, the people who schedule events and run, like the plot team and the members of staff who are involved with that, we're keeping a very close eye on it, especially with the amount that it's in Utah. Um, right now, we haven't gotten to the point where we're going to cancel events, especially because our events aren't in generally aren't more than 30 people yeah. on like a Wednesday event, and yeah. that's still considered within the safe zone. Um, we are probably going to limit the amount of indoor events we are going to have just to, uh, again, let people have space um, just to be extra safe. We, of course, encourage all of the people who come to play the game. If you're feeling sick, skip it. They'll be in another event. We have lots of events, mm -hmm. so there's definitely nothing you're missing out on. Um, wash your hands, do all the stuff that the, the CDC and doctors are saying to do, and just be aware of what's going on. If it gets to a point where we feel like a gathering of 30 people becomes unsafe, then we'll, we'll definitely follow the lead of the city, CDC and our local leaders and suspend events for as long as we need to. We definitely don't want any of our players to get sick. Um, yeah. And so, we've also talked about, like, you know, potentially doing slight rules modification for the foreseeable future, where we maybe change some of our rules around, like, searching, healing, things like that, to okay. try and make Anything it... Anything involves touching, Yeah, just like, okay, well, let's just, you know, let's make sure we can find a way to find that, you know, gotcha. three feet kind of recommendation. How do we... Try um, not to use each other's weapons, have some disinfected wipes to wipe down NPC gear, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, um, okay. But we're, right now, we're still really hoping that because of the size of our, our normal Wednesday night groups are and the fact that it still hasn't like gotten to the point where all group gatherings need to be yeah. eliminated, that we're still good for now. Fortunately, we're a small enough community that we can kind of self-moderate a little bit yeah. just with some, you know, 
have some due caution, but still be concerned. Um, and just Take some reasonable precautions. Reasonable yeah. precautions is what we're going to do. We're not canceling anything at this point. <laughs> Unfortunately, the weather's getting nice enough that we can start regularly having yeah. events outdoors, mm-hmm. yeah. um, which is ideal and in, any, in either scenario. So we'll probably just keep playing it safe, but at this point, you know, we're not, we, haven't, we haven't made plans to cancel anything. Well, and it's like I said last week, and, and you mentioned on it a little bit, we're such a community and family that people are, like, aware of that. And if people are even slightly under the weather, they just don't come. They'll usually, they'll usually mention on the boards, hey, I'm not feeling good, I'm yeah. not going to come. Like, I don't want to risk anybody getting sick. So yeah. uh, that's one thing I like about our, our group, too, is that they're all very conscientious of everyone else's well-being. So, yeah, and the, the real danger with coronavirus is the amount of time between when you can catch it, when you when, become contagious, yep. and when you actually have symptoms. So, uh, like, I mean, I understand in Seattle, it's like there are way more cases than yeah. here. So we're still, like, I think we, we, today they declared that they found the second case of coronavirus that they think was transmitted in Utah. So, again, it's something that we're actively watching and if we need to cancel events, we will because we don't want all, all our player base getting sick yeah. and spreading that out. Yeah. Um, and if we have to cancel events for a month, we cancel events for a month. It sucks, but it's in the long term. We're a game that's been around for 22 years, and we want to be around for another 22. Yeah. So if we have to cancel three events, we will. Yeah. Because that's the average number of events we have in a month. Yeah. Yeah. On that scheme, he says... Please, Capital, please, don't cancel events. Mythic is the only thing keeping me sane right now, lol. And then as you mentioned it, Brightworm says, out in Seattle where we're at, well, every LARP is canceled. Weddings wow. and TTRPGs are also getting canceled. Yeah. And Nevitz just says, wash your hands and be considerate of others, plain and simple. Maybe we just have Skype roleplay events. <laughs> Maybe. And we just do that. Hey, yeah. we, our DM Skyped in a couple weeks ago. Worked out it worked out great, our regular D Our regular gaming group, we're... We've moved. Yeah. I can't really say D and D anymore. We used to be D and D, but we've been doing a lot of different systems. We have three people who regularly remote in. One who's on, one who's active military who's been deployed. One who li- and one who lives out of state. And then generally one other person because maybe they're doing something and they can't like. I mean, I played but, remote the full time I lived in New York. Yeah, you know, so, so. do it. Cool. So yeah, we can do it. Um. This is another question that they asked last week that I thought was kind of a good question. I wanted to ask you guys, what's Mythic's position on service animals? So here is my concern with service animals. They're easily spooked by combat. That is my concern. I am worried about the well-being of the animal, Mm -hmm. and I don't want it to get hurt. It's the same reason we, like, stop a game entirely if we're playing in a park that allows horses. Yep. And a horse, we're like, there's a horse on the horizon. Stop what you're doing. Don't spook the horse. Yep. Um... Yeah. Do I, I don't have a problem with service animals. My concern is the amount of activity. Yeah. Um, now, if it's a service animal that they don't need, like, at their side all the time, um, that's probably fine. I mean, people bring their dogs to weekend events all the time. Yeah. That, I don't think that's a problem. Just yeah. clean up after them if they make a mess in, a, in like, one of the walkways. Yeah. But my concern with, like, people bringing service animals is the amount of activity we have. I would be worried for the safety of the service animal... And, you know, even the best trained dogs bite when they get scared enough. So yeah. I'm also worried about other people. Um, so I, I would say that thing, we don't have a stance on. Mm-hmm. If someone thinks they need to bring a service animal, talk to us. 
and be like, maybe we'll have them bring it to an event. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. I was going to say, I think it would be just like, you know, just like a lot of the stuff, you know, we were talking about earlier about the, like, you know, social issues, right? If somebody feels a need to bring a service animal, we would just let the community kind of make a determination of what's the best way to, yeah, um, you know, to do that. So, Nimitz says, uh, he just pictured himself yelling 13 magic over and over sky blow. <laughs> and then, uh, Brightworm says, remote LARPs might allow folks to game with groups they normally wouldn't. How cool would it be to join via VR or something? 5G might make that interesting. Yeah, I've heard of some, uh, like, I don't know if you would necessarily, like, define it as LARP, but some, uh, like, roleplay-esque games that are played, uh, like, electronically over the internet that are set up to be more like, um, you know, like, hacker-style um, games, right? So, I mean, that, I think that could be a cool idea, and I think there's some stuff that's already out there that would kind of fit for it. I think, obviously, you know, it'd be harder to do, like, a high-fantasy LARP, and obviously you wouldn't be able to do, like, a combat LARP, but at the same time, I guess if you look at, like, uh, you know, Vampire the Masquerade, they do a lot of stuff that would actually transition very easily even from a combat perspective to a mm -hmm. digital medium. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm excited to see where technology takes us for those things. Um, one of our favorite ideas that never panned out, unfortunately, but that we had planned is for, there was a Winterfest where um, oh, yeah. we wanted one of, uh, we wanted someone who was out of state to basically Skype in and control a riddle portion of, uh, there's a section of a maze we were in yeah. that was like all riddles and we were going to basically, we had an iPad and a stand, we put it on. And we you like, like cover put it some stuff it, around it yeah. to look like a, just a black screen, and then when it was on, you could see the face of the person. They'd have a, a backdrop with a light shining on their face, um, so like it really looked cool. Where basically, so they could Skype in and just like tell the riddles of the event, portion of the event while they were out of state because yeah. they live out of state and couldn't come to the event. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't pan out, but like we had everything set up, just something came up and they couldn't make it. Mm. Yeah. Um, but stuff like that, I'm, I'm super excited to see how that turns. Because there, there is a draw that people have of being able to play with people outside of where they live to have that. Mm -hmm. So that, that definitely would be exciting to be able to do some of that and you know, to see where VR and that sort of thing takes us in the future. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I'm excited too. I'm and we always want people to come in, like James was saying last week, we would love for people to come from out of state and come check out Mythic Realms, so we would love that, so. Yep. Um, uh, so, let's see. Brightworm says, Jackalope Larp in Chicago ran Cyberpunk 2077 game with remote NPCs. Yep. Yeah, Cyberpunk can definitely do that, especially, ha oh man, the Hacking Wars. Mm -hmm. Hacking Wars could be epic yeah. in a VR environment. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know much about that one, so I'm glad you guys do, because I don't uh, even know. Yeah, but, uh, I played Cyberpunk for a while. It was, yeah? It's fun. Yeah. Cyberpunk and Shadowrun. Oh, yeah. nice. Um, so what have been, has there anything happened that, like, you guys couldn't do because of either, like, prop limitations or physical limitations or, like, anything that you want to do that we just currently can't do because of various limitations? Every day. All the time, yeah. every event. There's something that we I'd do. love to do but can't because I don't know how to fizz rep it. Yeah, because gotcha. like we just try so hard for that. What you see is what you get, yeah. right? And the um, like logistic challenges, like I said, I think are the the biggest skill that you start to learn the more you run, right? Mm -hmm. Is how to 
you know, deal with and overcome logistical challenges, which I think, you know, kind of fit yeah. within that. Big monsters are my thing. I, I'd love to have big monsters for the PCs yeah. to fight. Right. Um, and there's just no good way to fit yeah. through that. And, make and like, even when you try funky. to do, like, multiple NPC monsters, it just doesn't quite... Like, it doesn't quite give you the result that you really want. Right. You know? So You can make fights interesting and dynamic, but they... Yeah. I mean, I've been playing, like, Final Fantasy fifteen recently and I just fought the behemoth and you know and just that fight just looked super cool because I'm fighting this thing that's three times the size of a person a full-grown person um, and there's been you know things 15 feet tall and 30 feet long or something like that and just not being able to have big monsters like that is like not being able to accurately fizz rep it is the thing that I'm always like oh I just yeah. The epic feeling of being able to conquer the terrible monster, it's less cool when it's a dude in a mask, but we do what we can with what we yeah. have. Like, that's one reason we try and stick primarily to monsters that are, like, humanoid size, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah. I have to say, I loved it at Winterfest, <laughs> when the last group was fighting Minotaurs and they all came out with... With the claws strapped in their head like horns, I was like, yeah. "Hey, man!" It, Oldest it, trick in the book. It, that it, has been I know, the mythic but, realms minotaur since days. It helps. Number. I mean, it does just enough to help to help create that illusion just yeah. enough, you know. But yeah. uh, so that says, "I love those cobalt masks." By the way, I always laugh when I see an NBC in one and never have to ask what that creature is. Uh, here we go. Brightworm says, "Have you ever given any thought to hiring puppeteers or folks who can make different types of creatures?" Yeah, so we yeah have, the uh, problem is our biggest thing is one our funding is really limited um, because of the type of game we run we want to keep it make it as easy as possible for people to play so we keep the price to attend an event really low yeah which basically just covers like incidental props and things like that um, yeah. and also things like storage and maintenance and using it would be really hard um, and it like maybe like we've talked about for like maybe a big event having an indoor um, thing that is a, like a big puppet like the head and claws of a dragon or something <laughs> that's all puppeted or, or something else like that mm. um, generally it's just the cost that's really the big prohibitive factor yeah um, we've done some stuff for non-combat NPCs before um, but I think the thing that we want the most is the ability to do it for a combat focused role which is yeah. hard because um, you know, even though we are a Care Bear LARP compared to, you know, anything like Belagarth, right? Or SCA. Or like SCA, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we're still more, um, you know, f our, our combat is far more physical than um, like a lot of other LARPs that are out there. So it'd be really hard for us to maintain anything that was a combat focused role. Uh, yeah, but we've seen, we've done some cool stuff. Like we just barely had um, one of the guys running a sub campaign uh, build like an entire set of like wings for an NPC for one boss fight, that the boss itself was a non-combat role, but was part of the fight going on around it was to interact with these, you know, awesome giant wings that they build for the NPC, which was really cool. Um, so we try, like, when we can. Uh, it seems reasonable. So Brightworm says, it seems reasonable not to want to make puppets to whack them into bits later. Yeah, yeah that's, yeah, that's exactly. a big thing. Um... Let's see what other questions do I have. Uh, this is kind of a, like, a, I guess, how much time do you guys spend on, like, plot? Like, weekly or, too much. like... Too much, yeah. Far like, too much. <laughs> so, the, all four members of the core plot team, we all work for the same company. We all work on the same floor. We all work within 30 feet of each other. 
So there's literally not a time. There are very few days where we're not like, let's go take a 20 minute walk around the building where we don't talk about plot yeah. or something like yeah. that. Um, we have a, a relatively active plot hangout that we talk about. We have plot forums on our boards that we act pretty actively use. Um, like one of like talking about plot is one of the things that like we have to make an effort not to. We'll put it that way. Yeah. A lot of our conversation, we have to make an effort not to talk about mythic or plot to not have it gravitate towards gotcha. that way. And it's not like a bad thing. It is a thing we are very passionate about and a hobby we love. Yeah. And we love spending the amount of time we do, but. Yeah, I, I guess the better question is how much time do we not spend doing yeah. that? That that number is easier to come up with. Like I would honestly. say the like for any plot that we run, the amount of time that we spend talking about that plot is probably five times at a minimum the amount of time that it's actually run in game, right? So like I mean it's not, I don't think it's unrealistic to say that for a, and that's not for like an event, right? That's for like a concept, like a concept a of a plot. You know what I mean? Because um, events we've got. You know, like the vast majority of event doesn't need a whole lot of concept behind it, right? We know what the kind of formula needs to be. We know how to tweak it to make it stay interesting. We know what types of things you need to go in. But when you're talking about, you know, designing a plot, it's a lot of the time goes into, you know, kicking the tires on ideas back and forth yeah. to tweak stuff. And it's like too much, too much time. <laughs> it's a lot of time. Just yeah. wonder for people that are interested in it, like how much time was involved in that, that kind of helps. But it's also uh, really different when you look at like what you know, like we do as the like core plot team as compared to people who are, you know, more ancillary or just kind of getting into it. Yeah. Because we aren't just kicking the tires on like our own ideas. We're talking through every idea that everyone else has that they're bubbling up through us so that we can yeah. talk through it to be able to help. You know, if somebody's working with, you know, Steve on an idea of a module series they want to run, like he wants to bounce that idea off of a handful of people on the plot team to talk through it before he takes it back and helps give some advice to them to make right. sure that it's not inter interacting with anything else. Somebody else is running in a way that might make things challenging down the road. Um, so, I mean, we spend more time than somebody who like wanted to start getting into the plot team. And we also have some members on the plot team who spend dramatically less than like, you know, the two of us do for yeah. sure. Because okay. we choose, like we've chosen very actively to have you know, more of an active hand in more plots so that we can help be those, you know, people to bounce ideas off of. Um, then I think a lot of people who maybe want to, like, start running some plots or run a couple of modules, you know, they don't need to spend anywhere near that much time. Yeah, the big question that we talk about a lot is how does this interact with the world at, at large mm -hmm. to make it seem like the PCs are still in the world, that they're yeah. still, the things that they do make a difference. Um, we want stuff to have impact, right? We right. want to talk through it for so many hours because we want to find ways that it can have impact that stays manageable, as straightforward as we can, because we go back to that, like, simplicity in plots is generally better than complexity in most plots, right? Um, you know, ideas, but also, how do we make sure that it actually does have impact? Because if it never has impact, then, you know, it's just a monster of the week show, and sure, those are fun, don't get me wrong, season one of Supernatural, mm. some of the best TV I've ever watched, right? But we really want a game where there's more progression in our storylines and that the actions yeah. people take too much monster of the week gets uh boring for people they want yeah. there to be villains to be defeated secrets to be uncovered yeah. treasures to be found every now and then it's great to show up on a module and just kill the bad guy swing some swords collect some treasure yeah and hang out with your friends right but yeah. you know the thing we spend the most of our time on is how do we have those choices even if it's going to be a monster of the week style module how do we make sure there's choices the players can make that have impact on the world right why the why are why are the things that they are doing important? Yeah. Um, Babylon Five, right? Eye, right worm. Babylon Five taught me how to run plot. 
the whole Shadows arc taught me how a plot and how a story should be told. So, That's my biggest uh, yeah. influence. Yeah, he, uh, Bray Worm asked, what's your greatest influences on your storytelling, so... That's, that's really hard for me. I, th- I think that, like, a lot of it for me, because I think LARP is such a, like, unique type of storytelling, right? Because there's not a ton out there that is, um, like, communal, right? Like, shared narrative is my favorite term for it, right? Like, I really like the idea of a shared narrative universe, and LARP is one of those, right? And those are really rare um, within different types of storytelling. So I think that most of my, like, honestly, most of my influences come from LARP, right? Like, Mm -hmm. thinking through things that I've been a part of running or things that I've seen in the past, and then kind of using those as a template to modify my opinions moving forward. Um, Because I think it is just such a, it's a unique format. Yeah. Yeah. Bright Room says, quality pick, Babylon 5. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> taught me, like, seasons one through four taught me how to run plot. Yeah. Taught me how a story should be told. Yeah. How often you need to put something in and that it doesn't have to be, like, every piece of the puzzle that goes in doesn't have to be monumental, doesn't have to reveal a huge secret. Just the best thing to do is connect. And that's one of the things that we do with people who actively run events is we try to figure out, it's like, what is something we can do? What is an encounter that can happen on that module that links what they are doing to the grand scheme of things, to the greater world. Um, even if it's not like directly something, if it's just like a chance encounter with someone who may come up later type of thing. <laughs> like one of my like favorite examples of that, which Steve did um, before I joined the plot, like before I started running the plot with Steve, <laughs> was there was like a module where we went to go and like literally the module was like, send the PCs to go and kill an ogre because he's the bad guy, right? And we show up on the module, and the first guy we run into is this merchant who's like, do you want to buy some alchemy? And we're like, sure, man. I guess that's cool. And then we go on, only to find out later that that merchant we ran into was the villain for the next, like, five years of the game. Like, one of the greatest villains that I think has been written in Mythic that people still talk about to this day. And we first met him just wandering on the road as he attempted to sell us some alchemy to later find out he was, like, the master alchemist who ended up being, like, a world-shattering level, like threat in his own way and like this wow. personal vendetta with PCs and it was like just the way that it slowly developed and got dropped in was like something that I definitely think of when I talk about you know using past experience to try to emulate for the future that's something that I think of a lot is like how do you drop those in to make it so that the PCs have a like personal goal to approach something rather right. than it just being well because they're the bad guy you know right how do you make the PCs the, the villains PCs love to hate yep 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 how do you inconvenience them enough to make it personal, but not yeah. so much it makes it not fun? Yep, exactly. Yeah. Bright Room says, great to see you writing for the format also. It's definitely unique. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so this, I have, I have a question for you. And you guys do a really good job of covering this up if it ever does happen. But have there ever been any, because it happens in d d all the time, but have there ever been any times where like PCs, did something or reacted in a way that you did not anticipate. All the time. Constantly. The best plots we ever ran uh, were completely driven and created by PCs and they didn't know it. Yep. Yeah. All the time. And I think that's something that um, like we're very comfortable with that's hard to get used to. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, but it's something where like anything that a PC could do, you have to like always be prepared for. Right. Yeah. Like when you talk about like the theater aspect of the game, right? Yep. Like I did improv for years, ran an improv team, or a couple. Um, 
like while I was in college and even afterwards. Um, and I think that that is probably like my greatest tool that I lean upon is the ability to like just live in the moment with your role play and improvise because you might have you know this whole story that you've developed in your head for how this thing is going to go down the line and then all of a sudden everything changes and an NPC that you brought in because he was supposed to be the bad guy on the module because he stole the PC's town's money ends up being one of their closest allies for the next 10 years and as a character that I've played continually since then all because in the moment I realized that the PCs wanted to have it be a like more impactful than just killing the thief yeah. right and they wanted to know why and there wasn't really that much of a story behind why so we made one and like those are the moments that I think that really drive home mm -hmm. um, like that make this format not only unique but also so impactful yeah another one that was impactful was there was a, uh, a villain we were running um, who attacked one of the PCs like they had a little safe place in a ruined city that was very a very dangerous ruined city so having safe places was very like important in order to adventure in there um, and so in this ruined area they had just a little stronghold they set up and it got destroyed by one of the villains who was in also in this area and when we wrote the plot it was yeah they just they just they go destroy it because they are ramping up um, the their ultimate objective of go being like full-out war against the players um, and so the players like there's like okay yeah this guy's a dick he ruins our stuff that's just what happens and then one of the players like we were it was on a full it was on a full day event on a Saturday and we broke for lunch and we were at lunch with one of the players and he's like man do you know what I think I don't think it was him I think it's this other faction that's trying to lay low that we think is gonna be the bigger threat I think they're trying to distract us and that led to a whole seven-month plot on how the PCs got played by the villain because like we just decided it's like that's a way better story than the one we're gonna tell so let's make that the story yeah and so we develop we developed it into this whole thing about like this and the kingdom of the night the undead kingdom is like being more it seems like they they are being more antagonistic against their neighboring kingdoms on the basis that we hate the living but it turns out that everyone was being played by the shadow puppeteer and so and it wasn't actually the villain the PCs thought destroyed their little stronghold. It was the shadow villains who did it and then planted this guy's banner there to be like, it was totally your enemy who did this uh, to distract them. Mm -hmm. And after we ran that, the impact was so much bigger to the PCs when they realized that not only they had been played, but everyone's been played. It made the villain for the next, like, because they were the villain for like the next 18 months was the, the puppeteers. They were the villains for the next like 18 months and led up to this whole, like a huge war that happened um, that PCs were able to like be a part of off screen to kind of adjust the ebb and wow. flow of the battles. And uh, just the impact was way more than had it have just been a random dick who hates them and who they hate kicking over their sandcastle. It was actually someone framing them because it worked. The PC's direction was fully geared towards this other place, giving the shadow puppeteer all the breathing room they needed. Um, and it just made the PCs hate the villain who we want. And we were going to make the shadow puppeteer be the main villain for the next thing, so it just made it so much easier for the PCs to already hate them mm. and feel like they're a complex villain. 
Yep. Um, and, you know, we put a lot of time developing that, but originally the idea came from one of the players being like, I think this is actually what's going on. <laughs> like, oh, that's way better. Like, that's a way better story than I was going to tell. Yeah. Well, and then that's the thing that I want people to know. Sometimes it's hard to to let that natural progression happen because you, you come up with these plots that you fall in love with and you, you don't want to see it change because it's yours, it's mine. Like, I did this, but you, you yeah. have to be willing to let that go in order, like you said, for the... For the progression of the story and the, and the enjoyment of the game, and it's it's not always that easy to do. But I'm glad that you guys are, are able to are willing to do that because yeah. you guys spend so much time and you know. So, uh, Brightworm says no plan survives contact with the enemy. Might sum up that story, which mm-hmm. and I figured that would be your guys' answer. Yes, we do that, but you guys yep. just do a good yep. job of covering it up. You never, I never see you guys falter or waver, and that's what I, that's why I say like I have to. We're just you, really good at acting confident. I just have to yep. give you guys props for that because that's not easy to do, yeah. especially because we're all in the moment. We're there in a module, and boom! All of a sudden, something happens. You know, it's not the easiest thing to do. But yep. uh, it says, "How would you guys handle Boji soul forging into a theurge pacifist vegetarian?" Oh, well, J.K. Oh man, dude, uh, I didn't know you knew the plot we were writing for you. <laughs> yeah, you and Goodharth, man. Great. <laughs> We're gonna be best of friends. So, just real quick, we we keep talking about modules. What what is like the standard format or or formula for a module? I think everyone kind of has their own. Yeah. In general, though, the one I use is uh, I. So my base write up when mm-hmm. I'm gonna run an event, when I want to tell, you know, put every put pen to paper to write to the event. Um, I start out with. 15 lines of roleplay, combat, roleplay, combat, roleplay, combat, alternating. Yeah. Because that, to me, is the base of a good event. Having combat, have and, and combat is all-encompassing. It's not necessarily swinging swords. It's some kind of challenge for the pieces yeah. to overcome, yeah. whether it be fighting a monster, solving a puzzle, um, whatever it is. And then roleplay is time for the PCs to sit down and... Talk to someone, talk to themselves, figure out a mystery or a mystery is revealed, make a choice, that sort of thing. I think every good module needs to have a clear objective, Mm -hmm. a treasure to be found, a villain to be defeated, or a mystery to be solved, and a definitive end. Now, it doesn't mean that the things that happen (laughs) on that module have to end, but the module has, there has to be an objective for that day. That there has to be a clear ending for, whether it is in victory or defeat, there just it has to be clear to the PCs the event is over, yeah. the the objective has been fulfilled, whether that was fulfilled in victory or in failure. Um, and I'll use a recent event for Mike, our good friend who runs events with us. He ran an event that did not have a clear end, um, and it's not like it ruined the event, but people at the end were kind of standing around being like. I guess we're done? Are we done? Does anyone like you know? You have to have the catharsis. Yeah, there's got to be that, like, and done! Whatever it is, whether it's the villain is on the ground because you, you have defeated him, the mystery has been unraveled and you now know the secret, or the grand treasure sits before you waiting to be divided. Yeah. Um, it just has to be clear for that. Um, and that's, you know, the, the things that I use when I build a module that's what I do and it evolves it's not always it doesn't always end up following the format perfectly sometimes we have long stretches of you know gauntlet style combat because it's appropriate for the module other times it's like for the next hour it's going to be talking 
mm-hmm. as the PCs try to deal with whatever the thing is. They make a choice, especially some of the best choices. I think the best choices are the ones that PCs argue about. They're choices that the PCs don't know what the right answer is, and so they need to talk and be like, well, I think this is the right answer, but I think this is the right answer, and things like that. That you know, Choices that prompt conversation and conflict, you know, not necessarily PCs come to blows, but they're like, but if we help this person, then this thing happens. But if we do this thing, then this thing happens. Like figuring out what they want to do and what they think the right thing to do is. Um, one of the things that Mike, again, using him as an example, I use him for negative one, now I'll use him for positive one. One of the best ideas he had was putting in things that are linked to people's character histories that have a dual purpose. They have the like an immediate monetary gain for the rest of the party if they decide you don't get this thing that's linked to your history. Mm-hmm. Or the PC party as a whole gets nothing, but they give a little piece of someone's character history to them. Um, and it's a great choice because the PC group has decided, in general, the choice they will always make is we will give up the monetary value, we will give up this piece of treasure, and it is generally good treasure, to give someone a piece of their character history because that's the decision we want to make. But that is often, people have often talked about, but these are like these are magic items we could actually use. Like this, we put in one that like manifested rare components that PCs needed for things. And they could either use that, but using that one charge of it destroyed the item, or they give it to the person whose history it is, but they don't get that ability. They get something that is completely different and doesn't really help the, the PC group as a whole. So they have to kind of decide, like, do we help the group of the whole or give a, someone a piece of their history so they can have that? And those d- types of discussions that the PCs have about what the right thing to do is in those circumstances are some of the best that PCs have because it really lets people get into who their character is and what is important to them. Yeah, and I, if I ever get anything like that, I think I'd have a hard time trying to convince the group giving it to me. I get yelled at by Ren all the time. Like, over the summer when I got the uh, ritual that attuned me to spring, like I could have given it to anybody, and I was seriously mulling over giving it away to somebody else, and Ren was like, this is your plot. You have been searching for this for like six months. You take the dang item. Like, how dare you even think about giving this away? You need to take it. Like, it was just kind of funny to have someone in my corner that I wasn't expecting to be in my corner so much, and I ended up taking the item for myself, and all my bonds were like, that was a good choice. Like, that's what you should have done. But, mm-hmm. And they were like, I can't believe you were even thinking of giving it away. I'm like, well, I don't, I don't know. It was, like, it was a boon to whoever I gave it to, and it didn't have to be to me. Yeah, but yeah it's just... definitely the best. some of the best interactions between PCs are the ones where you have to buckle down and actually like, figure out what your character wants yeah. and yeah. how you would go about accomplishing that. Yeah. Like my current character, what I want is for everyone else to succeed. Yeah. Yeah. So... You know, type. So, so how do I go about doing that in a way that's not like self-destructive? Yeah. So that's what's interesting to me. Yeah. Is still being able to be like, well, I am more effective at helping people if I also gain things. But you know, it's it's just a fun little game I play in my head. Yeah. Which is what it, it all comes down to. Yeah, you know, I need to do more of that too because my whole game is to keep people alive as as a warden. Like that's my goal. But and sometimes I'm a little too selfless, and I have to work on that definitely a lot in game. But uh, Brightworm says, what is your best witness moment of role play spurred by plot or otherwise in your tenure as a game runner? Hmm. That one's hard because I think there's a lot of different types of role play, right? Um, I think that the 
so in the plot that we talked about earlier with the uh, the circle at the end of that plot line, they discovered that one of the members of this you know organization that they'd been working with for the last like you know two ish years or however long it had been had betrayed everybody and turned against them, and another one of them, another member of the the circle was going to die and there was like all this stuff happening and like it was very emotional for like some of the people that were like core in that plot but i felt like it was a like massive emotional impact for everyone that was on that event um that was just like i don't know it was it was so emotionally impactful for everyone that i think that it's one of the like you know it's what it's the reason that that's one of my favorite storylines you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um but it's hard to say because I think there's a lot of different types of role play that can be beneficial, right? Like sometimes some of the best role play is when it's just, um, you know, players being off the cuff in the moment in character and everything flows as if the characters that are all talking, you know, were real people. They're just, you know, in the moment off the cuff, just rattling off even re- relatively mundane conversations as they would if they were just real people, right? And so sometimes I think that that, you know, which we see, you know, constantly is almost more impressive than the, you know, moments of heightened emotional like state that people get to at the culmination of like a you know a large event or a large plot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my my favorite moments um, are ones that bring groups together, mm-hmm. whether it's because there's been a great tragedy or because there's been a great victory of some kind, um, and it really brings the group together. Uh, at, you know, uh, one that ended in great tragedy was there was a plot I ran with a couple of cursed items that caused people to basically go on attacking sprees where they would anyone who was with arms reach they would just attack and this happened with a very a very tight-knit group got both of the items and they were you know having a, a meeting of their group when they went off and they just like it turned into just this chaotic fight where no one really knew what was going on or why they were attacking each other and at the end of it it ended with half of them in tears um not understanding why they were being betrayed by the people who they felt closest to as their characters. Um, and that, like, they shut themselves, you know, once they figured it out and got it addressed, they, like, once again shut themselves in their little area and, like, for, like, two or three hours just mm-hmm. talked in character about what that meant and what they were going to be and do going forward and what, you know, what loyalty meant to each other and things like that. So that was pretty amazing but there are also like really simple times where there was one there was like a group of two or three um on a weekend event who uh you know went off to go slay a small goblin den for a farmer who was worried that his family and his and his livestock were gonna get eaten by these goblins and just like the bonds of friendship that formed throughout these four relatively newer players on this weekend going to slay the goblins. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just a random NPC on that one, but just seeing them like interact and decide that they were going to be comrades, even though they didn't really know each other, and the people who brought them to the game were part of different and some opposing groups, but they just all decided that it's like, we are going to be homies. Mm-hmm. We have slain these goblins together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> This is this is what makes it real for us. And they like the whole time they were in game talking as their characters, and they talked about their histories and what their motivations were. And for the next couple of years that they played off and on, they like those four, even though they weren't always like a tight knit group, as in like a unit that always acted together. But whenever one of them needed something, the others would always be there, and that was also pretty awesome. Um, so yeah. Um, 
I want to take a stab at that one too. So I would have to say, for me, some of the best role playing is stuff that that challenges me personally. Like I have really high anxiety and I have a big problem with yelling and stuff like that. But there have been times in game where I have had to stand my ground against someone yelling at me, and for those, they have been some of the most liberating moments because I was able to not retreat into myself and have like my panic attacks that I do like so for me mm-hmm. that's some of the best role play too is just when you're challenging yourself and, and succeeding and I think another one is over the last weekend over the last year we had those group of Parthens show up that were trying to rob everybody and they got caught every single time and they had a huge fine by the end of the weekender and they put on this performance where they likened themselves as Romeo and Juliet uh, and how they were being picked on by the sheriff, and they made this all up, like over 20, 30 minutes, just sitting at their camp. And they showed up at the tavern, and were like, "We're going to perform a, a play for you all." And they put on this show, and everyone laughed and loved it, and it was just totally all in character. And everyone donated money to their cause. And <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny when your character concept is to be really bad at stealing. Yeah, yeah. like that was, it, that was an interesting decision. It was, and it was great, and it was, and they stuck in character the whole time. Never let anything get to them. Like, it was the great... And they even came back later and was like, we'll play them again if you guys all want to see us get executed because we didn't pay our fines. Like, they were just totally okay with everything. So I love that. So, uh, Brightworm says, both of you told betrayal stories. Interesting. Big feels. And the simple, small moments. Great answers. And Nevis says, oh, I'm you. That was great. And then Brightworm says, terrible thieves. That's a great story. And it was. It yeah. Was, they made that weekend one of the most interesting I've been on for a while. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I think one of the reasons why, like, going back to the, you know, the fact that betrayal showed up in a lot of those stories. I mean, I think that, like, LARP as a medium is one where because it's interactive in the way that it is, you can like betrayals are something we don't get to experience in most other forms of medium yeah. in anywhere the same way. Like, if you play a video game, you know that you know, like, the Sephiroth is going to betray Cloud at some point, right? Like, you know that that's what's going to happen, and it's always going to be the same. Whereas in LARP you never know what's coming next and you never can go back, right? So when a betrayal happens, it happens. There's no reloading your last save point and trying again. And so I think that people, like it's part of that, you know, just like how roller coasters, right? It's the danger and the fear that makes it fun, right? Same type of thing for LARPing that, you know, the role play is engaging and really, you know, impactful and we can feel some of these emotions we can't feel in a lot of other mediums because it's happening in real time and there's no going back. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, too, betrayal is one of those things because it's something that people don't often experience through the other media. It's, it's one of the ones that like is the biggest shocker yeah. um, to people when it happens. Um, but yeah. Well, and it's not something that most people will experience in their real life to that magnitude. You know yeah. what I mean? Like oh. Some people might get some betrayal, which is terrible, but yeah, hopefully they don't, but yeah. it's just, it's not something that you experience in the norm. Yeah. Um, yeah, that good hearth betrayal. That was a good one. Oh. The best ones sure. are the ones you don't see coming. Yep. Yeah, that was... She was up in arms. That was totally great. But, uh, yeah, now let's mention the good hearth betrayal, and that was good. That was a very good one. Then my favorite was recently someone in town who wasn't there who was asking for good hearth to come train him, and everyone yeah. was like, uh, bro, yeah. we got some news for you. Like... Awkward. Yeah, it was super. It was like, uh, Turns sorry. Turns out he's not as good of a guy as we thought. Yeah, that was, so even stuff like that, that's something you guys couldn't have planned for. It was just a natural progression that just, oh, hey, by the way. 
That's Boji's story if he goes pacifist the urge vegetarian. Yep. It's next step, man. It's the next logical First step. First thing you stop eating meat, next thing you know, murdering hundreds of people for science. <laughs> lol. So he says lol. Let's see. Um, people do, yeah. Uh, let's see. You guys already answered that question, how many people on the plot team? There's four, but there's a lot of others working on it. So Yeah, actively right now there's four. Mike, Barris, myself, and Josh. And then other people who actively do stuff. Deb actively does stuff. Braden actively does stuff. James mm-hmm. is going to start actively doing stuff. No, oh, nice. Um, yeah. Chelsea's running a module Chelsea's series. Chelsea's not really series. quite part of the plot. Yeah. Um, yeah. She works really closely with Josh on mm-hmm. that. But yeah. Um... So I guess I'm going to ask the question you guys were warned about earlier. What is your, I mean, it kind of goes along with the role play, but like, what is your favorite LARP moment for you, like, for a character that you played? Uh, for me, it was, there were two. Okay. I think I'm going to say there were two. The first one is a kind of silly. It was on a weekend event right before we all retired our first characters. Years and years ago. We were getting to the, the, <laughs> the Coleman cave. It's three. There were three. <laughs> we were getting to the culmination of our plots, mine specifically. Yeah. Um, I was the first one, I think, to retire. Um, and we we're getting to the culmination of my character, like my the goal my character set. And I'm like, once I have this goal, then I'm basically done as an adventurer, and I'm ready to move on to the next thing. And there's also is when I wanted to start actively being more running things. Yeah. Um, and so we're. We're, at, we're off on an adventure during a weekend, and we come back, and one of the ancient villains is sitting in town at our campfire with a cadre of, like, terrible, oh, evil so... knights, ready to kill and do terrible things to us. And these guys were powerful. Like, even though our group, we were ready, we'd been playing our characters for a while, we were, as a group, relatively considerable when it came to power. Um, but there was just no way we could defeat what was in front of us. Um... And, you know, there was a whole lot of stuff that happened. Some stuff went down. We got out of it without anyone actually dying. Um, and Paris's character, where oh he's going God. around, he comes out of his tent. He's like, Gregory robbed me! And Gregory was like the captain of the evil knights who was there. Like one of the longest, like, villain Long- dark people from the game for like he over a decade. He stole my potions! Because he had a stack of potions that he sent next to his bed and like the guy went in and like robbed us of our potions and we're like really dude like he's a world ending threat working with demons and he took what 10 silver of potions but for like years we were like Gregory that that dick he took my toughens (laughs) he took our toughen potions the ones that gave us like 5 extra hit points (laughs) that's funny oh that was such a good one (laughs) second the goblin one was one also towards the end of our characters yeah um right before we retired was we were on a, uh, a module, uh, a full-day event, where the first half of the day was broken up into many different mini-adventures. And then we were going to break for lunch and then have, uh, you know, just a, the second half of the day was going to be a long, concurrent adventure. But so these mini-adventures, people were going on and people were trying to, like, which ones are going to have the best rewards and what, what seems like it's connected to the plot. And this farmer comes in, and it's intended for, you know, newer players who are like, there are goblins attacking my farm, will you help us? And everyone's like, we're too busy doing important things. And me and me and Barris and all, we all look at each other and we're like, we will save you from the goblins, farmer. I can think of nothing more important right now. 
than helping a farmer in need. Yeah. Because that is important to stay true to your roots. And so our yeah. group of me, me, him, and Gomez, Mike, and Frank all went off. Frank, who later became the, the warrior king, he's playing his warrior. Mike is playing his healer. He's playing his defensive mage. Gomez is playing his rogue, and I'm playing my wizard. And we go off, and the other piece, and we go and we find this goblin cave. And we just have a riot of a time fighting these goblins. And we refuse to use anything strong enough to kill them in one hit. We, like, pick up weakest weapons we can find. And we're like, doing this as adventurers how it was intended. Um, and we go on this adventure. And the thing is, a whole bunch of other players saw us go off and like, oh, well, they must be doing something important. And they, like, all came to kind of join in. We're like, no, you go away. You turned down helping this farmer. We're getting rid of this goblin den. You can't be here. Go away. And we basically kicked them all off, out to go do whatever other things they were doing. And while we cleared out the goblin den, and we found the most terribly but awesome magic item that we kept for Forever. years. It's still in game. It's still in game. Actually, I think it's gone at this oh, point. Oh, I think Chelsea took it with Yeah, her. she retired with it. But it was passed on to different PCs who then retired. But it was an item that three times a day yeah. let you use a really icky goop. It was basically a candle jar with a whole bunch of melted wax and other things in it to make it really feel slimy when you touched it. But you'd have to take it and rub it on someone who was injured. And you could either restore them to full hit points or bring them out of their death count. Raise well, dead salve or grant well-being salve. Yeah. And it smelled terrible. And the whole purpose of this was it was this terrible, foul-smelling goop. And we kept that, because that was our, like, <laughs> that was the our coolest, trophy. that was our trophy of the goblins we smelled. And, like, there was nothing else. There was no deeper plot behind these goblins. We were just like, we're doing the right thing. Doing the right thing here. And then the one that, at like, is is kind of serious, other than the, the silly ones, is uh, um, probably midway through my first character's career. We did a lot of camping up in uh, Manaway by Tooele before they renovated the site, making it an ATV haven and making it unusable for LARPing. Um, but there's this long row of trees on both sides of a path that just arched over it. We called it Death, I think it was like called Death Row or Death Tunnel or something like that. Because anytime after the sunset, pitch black the whole way through, couldn't see wow. a thing. You could hide in there and ambush anyone. Um, and I think one of the, like, just I got up one morning as the sun was rising and I looked down there and just like the feeling of there is unknown danger through there it was just like the coolest sense in an event I'd ever had just knowing that there was almost certainly something down that you know hundred foot long path that was waiting to eat me and if I walked down there there probably would have been an NPC lying in wait to get whoever was you know going through there at the time because just back in the early days of the game, that's just what NPCs were like. They just, yeah. waited, they just waited in the darkness for people. Yeah. Um, and that was one of the probably the coolest set feelings that I ever had LARPing, is just like the, the unknown threats and how could I overcome them type of feeling. Thinking about what would I do if I got jumped and things like that. And that was just like the, one of the coolest, for me, experiences I had. Because <laughs> at that point, it felt like very immersive. I was, it was just really easy to be immersed that time and I'm like and there is the unknown through there a mystery to be solved which is what I'm all about is solving the mystery yeah yeah um yeah I mean tons of like just riotous times over the last I just realized like 16 years 16 17 years now yeah um but you know I think the 
the end of my first character's story was probably one of the like most impactful moments that I still think about all the time where you know my character had gone through like so many changes from being a like relatively like mercenary selfish merchant type character who was all about like how can I acquire like wealth to build like protection for myself right to then moving to being a like morally driven character who really understood like the error of my previous ways and like you know having this whole transition within the character about like oh i actually like my actions matter and i have to start acting for the betterment of the world to then like growing into being a like full-fledged like white knight warden like you know really trying to take this like long-term like view of my actions and then at the you know kind of very end the culmination of the story for me which uh was just before i finally retired um was you know i my character had bonded the king right king alaric had bonded him and he was one of my um you know one of my warden bonds and we you know gone on an adventure um with him to go and get back um you know this item that had been lost in the abyss and so we got like everyone together for this big huge push you know we go into the abyss and then at the end you know he essentially told me that i had to follow his orders because he's i'm his subject and i'm a white knight blah 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 and then we get to the end and he gives me an order to let him die and rushes off to sacrifice himself and i have to choose on the module to like betray him to be able to save him and then afterwards there was this just for me at least incredible role play where he like banished me from the kingdom and stripped me of my citizenship and like you know everyone standing by because like of course this is the right thing to do and like we're all supporting him but it's like uh, it was just an incredible like seeing the full arc at the end of my character's life seeing everything that i had been before and what it what he had become kind of like come back Mm-hmm. kind of all in one conversation that you know i gotta give props to jamie for like seeing kind of like the entire picture and how to lay it out because it was the exact example of not the thing that i wanted at all i was prepared to retire my character as a um you know as a white knight paragon of goodness within this kingdom and then to be forced to make the choice to either continue that path or betray my king become a vampire and be banished from the kingdom and have to deal with that like was not at all the choice that i was continuing or like that I had envisioned taking and have it all forced upon me at the end is this kind of like coming full circle was just such a great experience at the end. Uh, Brightroom says, folks, we have to go. Thanks again from Seattle, Brightroom Studios and Larparazzi Leon. Thanks for being here, Brightroom. I appreciate it. Great questions, great comments, really great. So. Yep, thank you so much. Yeah. Never says goodbye, Brightworm. So yeah, thanks for being here. I don't know how much longer we're going to go anyway because I'm out of questions. I don't know if you guys had anything else you wanted to talk about specifically. No, I didn't. Yeah, this is great. So there's a few things we got to talk about then here before we wrap up. Uh, Very first one is the uh, always we've been talking about Mythic Realms. I think that's the first one, isn't it? Macro. That may not be working. Oh, it's probably not because I'm not. The one thing isn't logged in. So we always, whenever we're doing this talk show, at least this season and last season, we've been talking about Mythic Realms and their various rule set and plots and everything in there. So always you can go check them out at mythicrealms.com. We also have a Facebook page. Is it just Mythic Realms on Facebook, I believe? I don't use Probably, Facebook, uh, so I don't, know. Okay. I don't know. I believe so. That okay. sounds right. So you guys, uh, I think it's just Mythic Realms on Facebook. Yep, Mythic Realms. There we go. We're going to have a link right here for you. There's lots of photos and stuff on the Mythic Realms Facebook page, so that's a great way to see different things and get involved. Um, we do events every Wednesday, so come check us out. Uh, second off, we film this here at the Ascendance Gaming Center. 
Uh, this would not be possible without this location, so I appreciate them. They get there up here way late. They're here like four in the morning on Saturday night, and then they get up early to come do this for us. So heroes. I appreciate yeah, that. the true heroes. Yeah. Yeah, the, the unspoken heroes for sure, <laughs> the unsung heroes. But uh, come check them out. They have four ultra machines. They've got two VR bays. They've got a, a bunch of other computers. You just come play games, bring your friends, come have a party. Um, we appreciate them. We appreciate this space. So. You can come here and just come check it out. Uh, and then finally, uh, we upload all these on Wednesday to YouTube, and we download them on podcasts on Wednesday as well to the, to Anchor. Anchor, yeah. Um, so do we have the links for those or not really? No, I would have to go to Google. Okay. They can just search the Lark Lounge. Yeah, if you, in fact, if you just search the Lark Lounge now, it actually pulls up on YouTube and Anchor. Yeah, so that's me. really cool now too. So you can always listen to these later on. All the other episodes are available on, well. This season we're a little behind, but we're getting it's caught up. Producer's bad. <laughs> yeah, so we're getting caught up, but we're so you can always check those out. So other than that, thanks for being here. Thanks for all the questions. Thanks for all the comments. Thanks you guys for being here, and thanks for all the work you guys do on plot. I really do appreciate it. I know a lot of the players too. They just don't say anything. So I'm just on their behalf. And like Neville said earlier, we just appreciate it. So yeah, thanks. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. See you guys. Oh, Miss Shannon's the new bit boss. That's awesome. Yay.